Blog Talk Radio. Ryan Garcia took took apart for the most part Fortuna, who only landed a handful of good punches throughout the you know throughout the fight. So we're going to talk about that, and of course we can't talk about you know Ryan Garcia without talking about Tank Davis, Gervonta Davis, Ryan Garcia. How realistic are we talking? We've heard all week, um, you know. Oscar De La Hoya, we even heard from the COO of Golden Boy post-fight in the press conference saying, you know, basically standing on the ground saying, hey, the zone has to be involved. It has to be a split pay-per-view. So we're going to get into that. Like I said, can Ryan Garcia stand his ground? And the answer in this scenario is yes, he probably could. Now, where will it lead? Will it put him on the shelf? Will it be a lawsuit? I mean, who, you know, who knows, right? It, it is boxing, so anything can happen. But I rarely agree with folks saying if the fighter wants a fight, he can get the fight. That doesn't. That's a very small percentage of fighters that can get away with that because ultimately you do have a contract with your promoter. And like I said, they can put you on the shelf. They can outright cut you. So, yeah. Most of the time, in my opinion, they don't have this major control of their career. But there are times where some fighters do have it. And I would say Ryan Garcia right now, and you could say Tank as well. He could say, hey, this is how bad I want the fight. But when we're talking A-side, B-side, and how big this fight could be, um, he could stand his ground. You know, he could go through his management, agree to terms, and put all the pressure on Golden Boy. 
So, you know, what will happen, I don't know. But we'll get into a little bit of that. Um, breaking down the fights over the weekend, we'll talk about that ESPN card. You know, on paper, that undercard for Ryan Garcia and Javier Fortuna had some interesting fights on paper. Now, in the ring, not so much. The opening fight was very competitive and heated up down the stretch. But, man, yeah, it was kind of lack, not kind of, it was lackluster, if we're being honest. But we will also talk about, like I mentioned, uh, Barboza uh, getting a W in a one-sided fight that I thought would be more competitive, actually. Uh, we will look forward to this weekend. ESPN Plus has a card. Uh, Joet Gonzalez and Isaac Dogbo. Um, the undercard fight has my interest as well. It's a pretty good, pretty good doubleheader right there. Uh, the Dogbo-Gonzalez is that mid-level fight that ever since we've seen PBC go to the networks and then uh, ESPN following suit not long after signing this ESPN deal. We've seen a ton of mid-level fights. And it's something that, you know, the boxing media and hardcore fight fans did kind of want to get back to, you know, on a more, you know, more common basis, more consistent basis. Uh, so I really like that fight. I like that card. Um just for what it is, a mid-level fight. I'm not calling it some great fight or some great matchup and all that stuff, but uh, I'm, I'm interested in that card. So we'll get into that. And then, of course, here in a short while, we're going to start with John and kind of, you know, do what we normally do, kind of break down the action and whatnot. But we will be later in the show, show excuse me, uh, joined by Al Dawson, who recently this year moved to Las Vegas. He's a correspondent writer for Insider, for boxing and MMA. And we're going to talk about a recent article that he wrote, and a variety of folks have now wrote, you know, written an article on this, as far as a, an alleged, okay, allegedly, let's get that out of the way, an allegedly pay-to-play, <laughs> cash for rankings, which would be a potential huge scandal, although if you follow boxing, is this really that weird? Uh, with the WBA, okay, an Ali Act alleged potential allegation of a violation um, involving the WBA, uh, Greg Conan, Ricardo Rizzo, Sports Consulting Services, and a variety of others. It, it came out of a deposition out of a, a different lawsuit between, uh, I think it was, uh, what's his name, Clifford, Clifford, Mass, I believe it is. So we'll get into some of those details of uh, what this could mean. We also heard recently Manuel Char make allegations about Don King and bribes to WBA as well. So we're going to get into this stuff a little later in the show. But, yeah, I mean, it, it could be. You know, it, it's tough. It's tough to know exactly what will happen in this stuff. And uh, it has to be brought forth. You, you know what I mean? There, this this information comes from something separate that really doesn't actually line up 100% with, you know, a WBA thing. It'd have to be a separate thing, you know what I mean? So, lawsuit, whatever, criminal charges, the Justice Department, yada, yada, yada. Like I said, allegedly, okay, but we're going to talk to Al Dawson, who does really solid work out there. I do want to say he just, like I said, just moved to Las Vegas and even when it came to, you know, he did a lot of uh, coverage, great coverage and work on the Daniel Kinahan 
scenario, situation scenario, situation that um, not a lot of folks over here were doing much of, if we're being honest, or in the UK, to be fair, when it comes to covering boxing anyway. Um, there, there was some, though. There was some out there, but not many. And he's pretty solid, you know what I mean? Um, so that, that's we're going to talk to him in a short little bit. If this is your first time listening to the Rope-A-Dope Radio podcast, welcome. It streams live right here on blogtalkradio.com forward slash Rope-A-Dope Radio. You don't have to go to Blog Talk and Rope-A-Dope and download the show there directly or, or listen to the browser. You can find the platform on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Player FM, TuneIn, Spricker, Stitcher, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts. Um, while you're at it, why don't you head on over to thegruelingtruth.com. And one more thing, if you're thinking about cutting the cord, or you're half and you're not quite happy, I got something for you. It's called Direct TV Stream. The prices start as low as $64.99, which can be locked in for 12 months. It's the best of live TV and on demand. No annual contracts, no hidden fees. For a limited time, we have the choice package for $69.99 and, uh, and also the ultimate for $89.99. Um, and those packages come with three months included with HBO Max, Showtime, Epics, and Cinemax. There's also a DirecTV deal for boxing fans for Showtime. Three months for five fifty per month. Something to think about, DirecTV stream. Okay, let's get into the recap portion of the show. Like I said, we like to. There's a lot going on outside the ring in boxing, but we do like to start in the ring as much as possible. Now, you know, if uh, Spencer Crawford had been announced today, we would have led with that, you know, or some other major fighter, you know, something like that. But we like to, you know, keep it in the ring. We'll talk a bunch of fight news and that WBA stuff later with uh, Al Dawson, like I mentioned. We're going to get John in here in just a moment. Um, I got to say, you know, Garcia... Looked pretty damn good. You know, he came out with the jab, started landing a few nice left hooks. Fortuny, even at the, I'd say, later part of that first round, landed back-to-back his winging roundhouse-type hooks, shots, you know what I mean? The, the, he did, you know, landed a couple of those. I thought Garcia actually had, especially his right hand up, higher than we normally see it. But, um, you know, it took a little while – like Garcia was busier in the second, but he wasn't really landing much clean shots. He did kind of later in that round, you know, land a nice jab followed by a right hand, started throwing more combinations. In the third round, fourth round, midway, Garcia lands a left hook. Um, and uh, it was, you know, obviously a knockdown. And uh, then Garcia started really, you know, opening it up with harder shots and combinations um, and uh, you could kind of see that was the beginning um, to the end. Midway through the fifth, um, Garcia lands a, another or scores a knockdown. I think he missed with the right hand, if I remember, and it was a left hook right on the temp. Perfect. Pitcher perfect shot. And then combination, uh, you know, led to a knockout. The combination, I think it was a right hand and a left hook that kind of cleaned up things. So he uh, – he looked pretty damn good. He looked better than his last fight, that's for sure. Um, now, something of note 
or moving you know forward in in this fight is the 140 pound uh, weight class that this fight was at, and that was a surprise pretty much to everyone uh, not involved, obviously, but pretty much, you know what I mean? It was like, hmm, okay. And the way it was, I think it was Eidick. Was it Eidick? There's a couple of people, obviously, that wrote, uh, that, you know, said something about it, reported it, but I'm pretty sure I saw Eidick first, and he was saying how both camps, you know, basically since it was not a full 8, 10 weeks, um, that they were going to, in, in you know, he, um, Fortuna said, you know, he, he was a little heavy coming in the camp. So they allowed it at 140. Both guys could fight, you know, it's not for a title or anything. So both guys could weigh 140. Um, and I even saw Samson talking, uh, uh, who was he talking to in an interview? But he did say how since they didn't get a full 100% camp when the fight was signed anyway, he probably still got a camp, you know, full camp, but who knows? But he, he did say, you know, it was, it was nice of him to do that or whatever. So, so that's one thing, right? That's one thing. And I, and I guess they knew about it, you know, a while back too, from what I remember on that. So it's not any, well, we could say shadiness, but I don't really look, look at it. If both sides were cool with it. Then, you know, it is what it is. That's boxing. Um, we've had plenty of title defenses, you know, over a weight when it has to do with the lower weight class for a belt. So anyone really make it a big stick of that, it is what it is. Both fighters agreed to it. However, the big thing is, is Ryan Garcia saying now he's not going to fight at 135. And if Dramonte Davis wants to fight, it has to be at 140. Which, you know, Tank did fight at 140 recently against Barrios. Did he look great? Uh, for portions of the fight, no. You could tell that he was kind of cautious, definitely patient, because he said, you know, this, this dude's big. He's much bigger than me. I remember him saying a variety of that. But, you know, it's not like he looked bad, and, and clearly he held, you know, a good chunk of his power, if you look at how the fight ended. Um but he did go back to 135. So will that play into it? Um, that'll be interesting. It is a little – I look at it two ways. You know, Ryan Garcia is a big 135-pounder as far as just how tall he is. You know what I mean? He's a tall dude. He's young. What is he, 22, 23? I think he's 23. So, you know, that man strength we talk about, it's no big surprise that he'd have to go to 140 here soon. That's not a shocker. But – and maybe he got out of this training camp. He was like, wow, it is much easier to make 140. This is pretty good, man. Maybe this – and then he looked good, right, and his power was there. So he's – now he's taking up Fortuna, who's not known to be a big 140-pounder or anything. Or I shouldn't say a big, but wasn't known to fight much at 140 or anything like that. In fact, lower than 135. But, you know, so that's – so I could totally understand that, but it is a little confusing minorly only because he's never brought this up ever. And they've known about it reportedly um, for like a month that the fight was going to be at 140. So, and even during fight week, I saw an interview with Ryan Garcia on, it was the LA show. I think it's the big show. 
and he and he you know he's talked about recently in other interviews saying my my division is so stacked and we're going to do this and we're going to do that he so he talked about lightweight like he wasn't moving you know so all of a sudden and he wasn't talking about during fight week or nothing and all of a sudden this news comes out hey the fight's at 140 hey after the fight i look pretty good i look great not pretty good i look great oh by the way i'm not going to fight there anymore so it's kind of a it's it just it's kind of strange, but in a sense, it's not all that strange because he's a big dude. But usually, we hear about man, I'm having problems. I really don't know how much I can stay at the weight class. We heard that from Devin Haney, Teofimo Lopez, Spence has said it for 147 that his days are numbered. So it is a little confusing, and it could it could cause a little bit of an issue. I will say this though because that's already hey you're already it's basically like starting the negotiations early which obviously oscar de la hoya and steven espinoza in the media have kind of talked about hey this is what the fight should be should should be and i'm talking about split you know pay-per-views at that point but it is a notch in the like it or not it is a a notch uh like uh, a request i mean in the way Ryan Garcia says it, it's not a request that has to be. Now, could they do a catch weight? Would, would Tank just be like, fine, I'll go to 140? Did he not feel good at 140? Who knows? You know what I mean? Like I said, he did go back to 135, but I don't think it would be – I don't think it would stop the fight from being made. I think there's much bigger issues than that. You know, and wonder if it does work out where Ryan Garcia does come over to Showtime for this fight then probably Tank and his side would be like, yeah, we'll fight you at 140, you know, kind of like a give and take. I know that's not an exact equal give and take, but, you know, he did put a notch up in the negotiations. That's just clear. Now, whether it even matters, I don't know. You know what I mean? That's really on that side of, of the block and of the street, you know, and, and, and how Tank felt at the weight, you know. Um, I don't know. I really don't know, but it did kind of surprise me because it's something that he didn't even talk about, you know, uh, of late. So um, we will talk a little bit of the, you know, the undercard stuff uh, like Roach, uh, you know, he got a, a nice win over Vernon. But it's funny because the whole broadcast they're talking about, you know, like – I got to make a statement. I got to do this. I got to do that. And then it was just like one punch at a time. Um, I don't know. It just really wasn't. He, I mean, he dominated him. Shit, the punch stats were like 171 to 72. So it's a dominant performance. But maybe it's, you know, he talked so much about it where it was kind of like, hmm, the Lamont Roach and uh, Junior and Angel uh, Rodriguez fight. That was a. Uh, fairly competitive fight for a while um but you saw lamont roach take over the fight and then like i said the the espn plus fight we'll talk about as well uh barboza won that going away wasn't a close fight at all whereas kind of on paper i thought there would be not much on the undercard to speak of um you know there there was a prospect what steven shaw I believe it is, um, that won, I 
he got like three knockdowns right away in the first pretty easily. But um, yeah, so we'll get into some of this stuff. But yeah, it was it was pretty one sided weekend overall. Um, there was the opening bout. I think I mentioned that earlier. The, the opening bout, Jimenez, who scored the uh, the pretty big upset uh, over Sandoval. And that was a competitive fight and really got more interesting probably past in the championship rounds or even a little before, um, you know, the 10th round. That's when it really got interesting uh, to me. And uh, I can't say that I for sure thought Jimenez would win that fight when the fight was over, you know, in the scorecards. I wasn't quite sure if he was going to do that. But we'll talk a little bit about it just in general. But, yeah, I mean – Parts of me really think that they can make this fight happen, you know. And when I talk about Ryan Garcia and, you know, a lot of media members and fans say that a fighter can control their scenario 100%. Like, they, they could take charge of their career, period. And in some ways, they definitely can. Um, but there's a very small percentage who can um, out-duel a promoter of no, right? It, it's tough. It's tough. It's not as easy as some people think. And, you know, if the, fighters, if the fighter really wants it, the fight will happen. Well, you can get dropped pretty quick. You can put on the, get put on the shelf. It's not as easy as they say. Now, the thing where I do agree is guys like Gervonta, guys like, obviously, Canelo, who doesn't really, you know, he's a free agent. He's signed, you know, right now, but he is a free agent. So he can choose Gervonta. Ryan Garcia. Ryan Garcia is in a situation where his management, they can negotiate the fight. Ryan Garcia can accept terms, and then they place the onus on Golden Boy Promotions and Oscar De La Hoya. Because if you look at the Munguia, Charlo, that was reportedly, which I believe the reports because they haven't been refuted uh, at all been talked about publicly a lot by Oscar De La Hoya. He came out and said, hey, even though they didn't make an offer, they wanted it on pay-per-view, in a split pay-per-view um, for that fight, which Showtime had already, like I said, they had already agreed to terms. So I, I do think in this scenario, and like I said, Tank could as well. He could say, hey, man, let's just do this. Who cares? I want this fight. He could say that too. But especially in this scenario, because Tank is the A-side, you know, Ryan Garcia could pressure Oscar in this one. And if anybody's going to do that, if we look at recent past with Ryan Garcia, he, he would do that. He's already done it thinking he should get paid more, and then they redid his contract. And so it'll be interesting to see how that happens. So of course, Chris Mannix says, you know, well, DeZone put in a bunch of millions, you know, They've invested millions, so they should get something out of it. But, you know, in the same breath, although Ryan Garcia is a bigger ticket seller and a bigger name than Devin Haney, the zone put a lot of millions into Devin Haney. And what did Devin Haney have to do? You know what I mean? So it's a little, little funky, you know, on both sides of that. You, you know, we can – we could kind of debate all that stuff, and I'm not saying it's, it's perfect for that. Um, but, and actually, John, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna have you hold for a short little bit here. Uh, I see Al Dawson has joined the fray. So we're going to go to that segment and then we'll get back 
to recap and all that good stuff. I understand if you're a little busy, you want to call back later, that's cool. If you want to chill, that's cool too. Uh, but we will talk, you know, the rest of the card, give his thoughts on, you know, what happened. Because it was a full weekend, a pretty long card with multiple fights for the Golden Boy to zone stuff. And then, of course, ESPN on Friday. It was kind of nice to have Friday and Saturday rather than, you know, dueling events at the same time. But right about now, let's bring in Al Dawson to the fray. All right, you're live on Rope and Dope Radio. What's going on, Al? How you doing? Oh, I'm doing good, Christopher. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, man. I'm doing pretty good. Glad that you can uh, join me. I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule, and especially when I just contacted you today. So I appreciate that, Al. No, I appreciate you having me on. Well, before we get into the good stuff, right, let's just kind of – Let's just talk about you moving here. So you're 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 a correspondent, you're a writer for boxing and I, I should mention MMA uh for um insider. Um and you recently moved to Las Vegas to the US in general. First of all, how's Las Vegas? How's America treating you? And uh okay. is it hot enough for you right about now? How, how's the weather there? Uh right about now I mean, in the you know, mid July. The dog days of summer, we call it. Um, yeah, I keep on hearing from people all throughout the year. I moved here January the 31st, and knowing that I was coming in from London, England, they were, you know, everyone was always warning me about, you know, I'll wait till you get to the summer, wait till you get to the summer. Uh, and I think because we moved in, in basically winter, and it was quite, the wind was quite bitterly cold uh, in Vegas uh, at the end of January. You know, it's kind of been leveling up, so we're kind of getting used to the heat. We, me and my wife were thinking, you know, we might get to March, thinking, oh, we've made a mistake, we're melting, you know, let's get back to the sweet comfort <laughs> of rain. But, uh, yeah, so it only got to, uh, uh, like, late last week, uh, around my birthday, we were, um, you know, we liked getting these day beds and cabanas in the pools, you know, on the strip and off strip and things like that. So we were at a day party. And uh, I, I was just standing in the sun, not literally not longer than like half an hour drinking cocktails. And I'd, I'd lie down on the day bed thinking, you know, this is the life. And then I just wouldn't stop sweating. And I thought I was overheating and I had to like <laughs> basically stick my head in an ice bucket. Uh, that was the very first time I thought, you know, th- this city does get hot. <laughs> but uh, I think it's because we've got, uh, well, the, the people here, they're calling it monsoon season. But if this is monsoon, then... Uh, I don't know. So, I mean, this is just light, light drizzles, but I think the, the extra, you know, condensation in the air is making things a little bit more humid. When it's just dry, it's, it's fine. Uh, but yeah, American life is sweet. Uh, I, I've, I've, um, you know, wanted this move for for a few years. I pitched it in 2019 to our company, saying like all, all the sort of readers and the beat I'd built in the UK and the London bureau, I could do a much better job. Uh, being being based, uh, it was originally in Los Angeles, but then over time we changed okay. it to Vegas. And, um, yeah, uh, for, for literally every single Saturday up until maybe uh, June, the, 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 we just had events in the city every single weekend. And I, I was kind of thinking I'd be busy at places like MGM Grand and the T-Mobile Arena, but I was, I'm kind of surprised uh, at how, uh, you know, how many small to medium hall shows that they do here. You know, Showtime have been here a couple of times with PBC, uh, and they, they put on, you know, one of the best events I've seen, actually, all year with Sebastian, Mon- uh, Sebastian Fundora and uh, Ericsson Lubin. That was yeah. around February time. That was, for me, that's still the fight of the year for, that I've seen live. Uh, just two, you know, ridiculous gladiators. Uh, Fundora taking a knee, bit of a, stretch, a strategic one. 
uh, and just like he ruined Lubin's face. Uh, that you know there were talk you know there and then that you know that Lubin wouldn't be back all year, but it looked like it, uh, uh, you know a week later that it may, the injuries were maybe a bit super, superficial. But yeah, we've had quite a few shows like that. I've been at the UFC Apex uh, quite quite a lot, which which fits only around 500 people. Those shows for me have kind of blurred a lot into one. I feel like MMA has kind of uh, uh, lost its momentum that it picked up when it came back in the pandemic really early uh, with the UFC putting on Justin Gaethje and Tony Ferguson. And that was just, you know, that was, uh, I don't know if I can swear on this, but it was, it was so good, yeah, yeah. that fight. Uh, Gaethje was, uh, I, I, I don't know, to, to be in the middle of, like really early in the pandemic when nobody really knew what was going on or how serious this was. And Gaethje comes in as a late, op uh, late opponent switch and just completely mullers uh, Tony Ferguson, who had been on an awesome, um, I don't know what it was, like 12-fight winning streak. Uh, you know, UFC right. had so much momentum. They had, the, you know, the uh, Fight Island shows. They then put, went into the Apex. But, yeah, boxing, since, since the start of the year, we, we just had so many good fights, so many good events. And I, I feel like the best is yet to come. I'm really excited for uh, Spence Crawford. There seems to be... Uh, you know, you know that could potentially happen in November, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not as confident Tank and Garcia happens. But if that, if that, I, I've right. been wanting that fight for ages. I think if you've got those two young, those two guys who really resonate with different aspects of youth culture today, who have both in their own ways transcended boxing, you know that 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 has the potential to be like a mega event when you've got Floyd and Leonard Ellaby uh, and Tank on stage with Garcia. And Bernard yeah. Hopkins and Oscar De La Hoya, you know, there, there's so much star power mm. there. Um, uh, yeah, so I'm I'm so I'm really excited to be in Vegas. I just feel like it's a great place to be when the sport is really, you know, I think boxing was quite slow to come back in the pandemic when we were making the, like yeah. uh, sort of heroes out of uh, you know people like Clay Collard. No disrespect to Clay, but he was fun uh, for uh, you know that summer in 2020. But the reason he was yeah, fun is because we didn't we didn't have anything else. You know that was that that was yeah. you know what we had compared to the UFC having Gaethje and Ferguson and Fight Island, um, but you know we've come on so much uh, you know we've just got so much momentum and it's just great to be in America where you know both 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 sports are you know happening here you know British MMA is quite is getting stronger, um, but the UFC is only really there once or twice a year. Better um, to have a couple of shows. PFL are going there um, next week I think. Um, so British MMA is right. I, I think UK boxing is kind of, um, you know, if you take away some of the bigger names, I'm not sure how much British boxing there, you know, how uh, how much there really is compared to years in in the past. But yeah, I, I'm loving it. I'm loving it in America, and I I, I just want to you know make the most of it while it's here and and try and stay here as long as I can. Yeah, that that's a good call because you know I love me some UK boxing fans and. I definitely go back and forth with them and exchange messages over the years with them. And, but you're right. Right now, it was a good time to not be there. You know what I mean? If you're, if you're being – honestly, right now anyway. And they've had their hot streaks, no doubt. And it's going to come back and whatnot and all that. But, and then also Las Vegas, rather than L.A., that makes a ton of sense because you can always go to L.A. You know what I mean? But, but so much of it is right there in Vegas. So I think that was a really good call there uh just in general, but um let's get into some of this alleged stuff uh when it comes to the WBA, when it comes to the sports consultant service, when it comes to Greg Cohen, when it comes to Moss, Ricardo Rizzo. Now this is all alleged, okay? This is all when we say oh a potential scandal, 
a potential pay-to-play, like we call it over here, the, the cash for ranking stuff. This is all alleged, okay? We don't know 100% about this stuff. And the information came from a deposition of a, of a different lawsuit. So it is, it, it's a, you know, it, there's, there has, there's legs here, it seems, but the legs have to stand up and start walking, if that makes sense. Let's talk about the article that you did uh, recently scribe there for Insider, Al. Um, I mean, on the surface, you know, as a longtime boxing fan, something, when you hear stuff like this, it doesn't really shock you. You know what I mean? Uh, now, it's yeah. still kind of shocking when you talk about a, an Ali Act violation potentially and allegedly and all this stuff. It still needs to be addressed 100% um, and the ties and, you know, the company and all that stuff. But let's get into some of the basis of your article and of this report. And I know that you uh, quoted a different source, so we'll make sure, you know, we get all that taken care of. But let's kind of just introduce, you know, how this in the, like you said, the deposition, or like you're writing with the deposition of Greg Cohen and the sports consulting services and, you know, obviously the alleged is you have to pay the WBA through a certain potential, you know, uh, outlet in order to either stay in the rankings or get better rankings, yada, yada, yada. Let's just get into some of the basis of this and kind of establish what we're talking about. Then we go in a little bit more detail. Yeah, sure. Sounds good. I mean, I agree with you. There's, you know, we always got to be careful when you're talking about things like this. But you and I, we have uh... – um, indemnity when we're talking, uh, uh, well, a level of indemnity when we're talking about this, we just have to be careful about quote, you, you know, quoting the deposition accurately because this is sworn testimony um, from Greg Cohen. And this, this is just a, like maybe about 30 pages that just stood out in a 242-page deposition. Uh, the whole lawsuit really is nothing to do with this. It's more to do with uh, a, a, a guy called Clifford Mass. Uh, who claimed he paid $250,000 to invest in Greg Cohen promotions and receive uh, around $72,000 per year uh, as a salary. From my understanding, uh, the only people full-time salary that Greg Cohen promotions are Greg Cohen and at one point Clifford Mass, uh, but it sounds like he only received, according to this, uh, this lawsuit, uh, I think he only received around $12,000 and over time he grew uh, you know, frustrated with feeling that he wasn't getting, you know, anything worthwhile out of uh, his his initial investment. And so he, he sued, uh, or he is suing, uh, or trying to sue Greg Cohen to try and uh, recoup his money. Um, so through this, uh, it's not yet gone to trial, but they're going through what's called discovery, uh, which is where, you know, the questions are being asked. And um, because it's to do with uh, money, there's like um, looking through, uh, looks like accounts, and, um, you know, that's when we come into, you know, Greg Cohen being asked about, you know, where's this money going and, and you know, who's sports consulting services, you know, and this is when it gets interesting from like a boxing point of view because, uh, yeah, uh, Greg Cohen describes, you know, one payment of $17,250 to, uh, you know, to me, they're a bit of a mystery company, you know, they're quite, they're not really that well known, they're sports consulting services bit of a generic, uh, you know, business name. And uh, Greg Cohen says, and this is a direct quote, 
they are an advocate and lobbyist on behalf of various boxes, promoters and managers. Um, and uh, he said Sports Consulting Services is, and this is another quote, an international company that works very closely with uh, the sanctioning bodies. So, you know, when you look into Sports Consulting Services, you, anyone can do this. You just Google them. They're based in Florida. So you just type in Sports Consulting Services, LLC, and then like Florida Business Registry, and it will come up uh, that who's registered the business. Mm. And then it will say who's two directors. One of them is Alfredo Mendoza. Uh, and the other is uh, Zylubi Sofia Cuba. Both of these seemingly are also agents of the WBA because Alfredo Mendoza um, represented the WBA uh, on a show called The Contender, and he's also WBA President Gilberto Mendoza's son. Uh, Zylubi Sofia Cuba has performed translation duties for the WBA website. Um, and Greg Cohen was asked about the ownership structure, but he was quite clever in that he didn't actually... Uh, say, he just said, I, I, I don't know about the ownership structure. It was a way of, I, I guess, you know, maybe he was being honest, but it's also a way of saying he doesn't know who works there, um, you know, because it might um, throw up articles like, like mine uh, and Sean Nam's on right. pricing team. Uh, but he also was asked, you know, how much does this fee normally cost? Is it a fight-by-fight -fight basis? Is it contract? You know, is it like a, a permanent thing? He said it's mainly... Uh, event by event, it's not done by per fighter, and that it can cost anywhere between tens of thousands of dollars and a million dollars. That's a hell of a lot of money, you know. For uh, he didn't say this. This is me not saying this. That's a hell of a lot of money. Yeah, we're talking, you know, five yeah. figures up to seven figures for, you know, going back to his quote of uh, an international company that works very closely with the sports sanctioning bodies. They're an advocate and lobbyist on behalf of various boxers, promoters, and managers. Okay. But, um, yeah, the Muhammad Ali Act is quite clear that um, under Section 5, under conflict of interest, there's a paragraph for sanctioning organizations like the WBA, and this is a quote from that uh, legislation. No officer or employee of a sanctioning organization may receive any compensation, gift, or benefit directly or indirectly from a promoter, boxer, or manager. So what's not proven... Uh, you know, to be fair to the WBA, all we know from the sworn testimony is that Greg Cohen Promotions has said, you know, uh, not under oath, but as part of sworn testimony, that um, they've been paying money to sports consulting services. Uh, and then he didn't say this, but what we found out is that sports consulting services are run by, you know, uh, Gilberto Mendoza, who's the WBA president, his son, Alfredo, uh, and Sofia Cuba, uh, who also has worked for the, for the WBA since... Um, for around six years. Um, so what we don't know, we know that there's potentially a money trail that goes from a promoter to a middleman company, but what's not proven is if that middleman company then shared that money with the WBA. If they did, that's a clear violation of uh, federal law, uh, according to uh, a boxing and litigation attorney I talked to, Scott Schaefer, um, who's, you know, look, go and look at this guy's... Um, resume, Olshan uh, uh, from Woloski, a New York City uh, uh, lawyer firm. He's been working in boxing 20 years, you know, um, you know right. great person to speak to, to talk through this with me. I spoke to a few other lawyers. Obviously, I spoke to insiders lawyers as well. I've been working on this for, um, you know, quite a few weeks. Um, yeah, and, you know, he, he, I mean, I'm just trying to find a quote from him that he gave me. Just bear with me for... Um, 
for a couple of seconds. Is it the, it's hard to imagine any reason quote? Yeah, it's yeah, it's hard to, this is it directly. It is a hard to imagine any reason for these payments other than to secure a better ranking or a path to a title shot for one of Cohen's boxers. What else would a, a lobbyist do in this situation? If you look at Greg Cohen's history, many of his boxers have gotten favorable treatment from the WBA. Um, and, you know, Cohen also said in this dep deposition that uh, he'd uh, retained and paid Ricardo Rizzo to basically perform the same duty. This is a direct quote. There's some overlap of those two entities, and that's him talking about sports consulting services and Rizzo. And he paid Rizzo uh, $25,000, according to his um, deposition. This is a quote. Uh, Great Cohen Promotions advances Ricardo Rizzo money all the time. You know, Rizzo, 20 years ago, according to a sport, I uh, uh, want to make sure I get the website right. I think it's the Sweet Science. Um, they had a reporter in the same room as Rizzo when he was an uh, official with the WBO. And he was, uh, according to this article, soliciting bribes there and there. You know, um, so, you know, allegedly this Ricardo Rizzo's uh, got a history of this, uh, of, um, you know, taking money yeah, and funneling towards us. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, you know, funneling it towards a sanctioning body in return for, uh, you know, favorable uh, rankings that can, you know, potentially help fighters get a title shot and secure bigger paydays both for the promoter and the fighter. Um, so my reading isn't really that um, – I tried to call Greg Cohen a lot in the last uh, two weeks. I emailed him trying to set up an interview. He didn't seem interested in speaking to me. Um, I then – managed to get hold of his number so i just called him he picked up i said who i was and you know he seemed fine with me but then he said can i just call you back and i said sure and he never did uh so then i texted him saying exactly what i wanted to speak to him about you know which is basically a cash for ranking scandal according to his uh you know potential cash for ranking scandal according to his deposition in the mass uh cohen case uh and then every time i called him after that he would do that thing of you, you know when you pick up and you just hang up on someone um, but from my understanding of oh, Muhammad oh. Ali Act, um, yeah, Greg Cohen's not done anything wrong in terms of the law. It's if this money goes to the WBA, and it's the WBA uh, that would be, uh, you know, uh, potentially guilty of um, breaking federal law if the money had indeed gone to the WBA. Um, right, if they so received the, the payment. Yeah, I mean, if I was going to compare it to anything, this is a really bad comparison, but. Um, you, you all know about this, that there's, you know, we've all heard about it, and I know it's true that there's a, what's called a, quote, media budget for some promoters, um, Matchroom yeah. have it, okay? Uh, you know, and some and Eddie uh, prominent... And talked about this, Eddie Hearns talked about this on camera, so it's nothing... Yeah, I, I, I don't think that's even him being facetious. There, he's, um, yeah, yeah exactly. I've, I've heard from that company that there is a media budget. We've never taken... Uh, anyone up on that insiders paid all of my assignments um but yeah there are some like think of the most prominent youtube media channel in the uk from what i understand they they like you know receiving that media budget uh not just from matching but they you know go out of their way to try and get that from american companies i don't think it's on the promoter i don't think we should be critical of the promoter if there is a media budget it, you should be we should be critical of the media who accept it uh, if you there can see you what I mean, it's, I think it's yep. the same thing here where, you, you know, we don't have to really be too critical of the promoter in terms of what the law says here. It's really the sanctioning body who are 
uh, if they are soliciting the, the, the bribe or, you know, whether it's a gift or cash or anything else, um, you know, that's, that's on them. Uh, you know, and what is, you know, how unfair is that for, uh, let's say, no, you know, fighters that we don't really know of, you know, that don't cross right. over into the, the, the hardcore, even the hardcore or the casual consciousness who don't have the backing of a promoter who can pay, according to Cohen, between tens of thousands of dollars and a million dollars, you know, for, for, for inadequate fighters to leapfrog potentially good talent, that's, it completely takes away from what we want from a sport. We want it to be a sport. We want it to be a competition. But if, you know, this is akin to, uh, you know, buying uh, your way into the playoffs if you're in the, you know, uh, the, the NFL or the NBA or whatever. Um, you know, this, you know, this needs to be exposed more. And you know, I'm glad that you know you and I are talking about it now, and that um, you know these sort of stories are coming to light because it's uh, how prevalent is this? You know, how many right. uh, promoters know of sports consulting services? Because I've had uh, conversations with um, you know, uh, you know, sources, and it didn't make the cut into the piece. Because understandably, some people don't want to go on record. Shout out to Scott Schaefer, um, the the New York uh, lawyer who I spoke to, who did go on record. Um, uh, I've lost my train of thought. Where was I? Um, uh, you were talking about, you know, it's good that we're talking about this because not a lot of people want to talk about it, and in how many fighters, you know, are are not being able to get in that top fifteen or top five, yeah, just lingering. Yeah in the bottom half of the top 10 because they don't have the potential, you know, pay to play cash. Yeah. You've pulled me, you've pulled me right back in. Thanks. So like conversations I was having in recent weeks with uh, other sources was that this isn't an isolated case. So like everyone stay tuned. Cause there's going to be more coming out with sports consulting services right. and the WBA. Uh, this isn't uh, an isolated case. And you know we're gonna we're, we're gonna we're gonna hear more. So we really need to scrutinise. Uh, I, I don't know. For me, any like uh, it, it's bad to say, but the WB rank, WBA rankings right now are quite suspect. If you've got um, if you've got this going on with uh, Greg Cohn's deposition, um, and right. what what else is is to come that I know is going to come in the next week or two, and then you know where does it snowball from there? This is all to do with the WBA. Uh, I did actually speak to Gilberto Mendoza. Um, I wanted to make and, sure we get that out too. Yeah, yeah. This should, probably should have been at the top. Sorry, Trevor. But yeah, I did. Uh, yeah, so right. he did call me because I tried to. Um, I, well, no, I, I didn't try to. I emailed him multiple times, left my um, phone number, and he did call me. And he was, uh, you know, he he denied um, what he called false claims. And I tried to say, are we? You know, I just wanted to make sure we're on the same page. Are we talking about? Greg Cohen's deposition, uh, where he's talking about, you know, everything we've already talked about on this call. And, you know, he, he said he couldn't say. So that, again, said to me, uh, you know, maybe Men Gilberto Mendoza is juggling a few, um, you know, uh, counter, yeah, uh, you know, litigations of his own. And he wasn't sure if, if I was talking about Greg name, Cohen. That's not a confident way to do it, right? <laughs> yeah. But he was, you know, he, he said these are false claims. Uh, I'll try and find the quote yep. now. Um, yeah, here we go. Um, yeah, he said he's, quote, angry about all the false comments, end quote, made about his sanctioning body, saying he's, quote, in the middle of litigation about those false claims to be proven wrong in the lawsuit, and that's the only thing I could tell you. 
he repeat, and then he went on to just repeat the false claims. I tried asking him about his son. You know, can we also talk about sports consulting services? You know, I was trying to get in. Have you taken money from this company? Um, and you know, just he just kept kept on repeating that he can't talk about the details. Um, but you know, fair enough. Because he's in he the middle that. of a lot. Yeah, yeah, but he called me. He called me back. He uh, he didn't like uh, hide away from it with like Greg Cohen, but um, yeah, uh, yeah. So Mendoza said he's in the middle of this lawsuit. The only thing he can tell us is it's all false accusations and would be proven wrong in the lawsuit. Yeah, and he also I I I saw the detail of Alfredo Mendoza, his son, being originally listed, but then being removed. Is that correct? Do I remember that correctly? Not that I saw. Um, so what's quite curious as well is that okay. um, this LLC has only been, um, you know, listed as a actual company for 13 months, according to this um, Florida okay, uh, yeah, registry right. website. But according to Cohen's deposition, they had been dealing with them for five years. And according to a completely separate case um, that I was looking into today, um, you know, which also mentions sports consulting services and the WBA. The sports consulting services, the relationship that the, the, this other promoter had uh, apparently had with them, uh, they're saying it went back to 2015 as well. But they were only a legitimate yeah, that company. Yeah, Charles lawsuit, right? Yeah, that's the that one. Yeah, uh, Don, yeah, with Don King and, and Manuel Char. Uh, that goes into uh, significantly more detail and is far yep. more damning uh, on the WBA uh, than this yeah, one that was already yeah, Char amended the lawsuit to include. Gilberto Mendoza and the WBA. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, the level of, you know, sort of, um, I mean, I've got some quotes here from um, the lawyer in that case. Oh, this is a direct quote from this, from this um, Sharp, uh, Don King, and WBA um, uh, 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 lawsuit. The WBA, this is a quote, the WBA uh, dot, 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 is generally considered a corrupt organization. This is in large part due to the WBA's practice of accepting payments and or gifts from promoters and, another quote, fixers, in exchange for fraudulently improving the rankings of fighters. Uh, and then they reference that, that line that you, you said earlier, this pay-to-play scheme enables less talented or unqualified fighters to participate in more profitable bouts which in turn increases the profits collected by their promoters and or fixers who engage in these illicit backdoor dealings with WBA officials. You know, they just spell it out right there. Uh, yeah. In, in, in the Char uh, lawsuit rather than the Greg Cohen one. The Greg Cohen one's just a sort of order for, for this one. Right. And it will be interesting to see if, you know, this stuff, like I said, has legs and starts to walk because, uh, it could be very damning. Um, it's just a matter of how high it goes and the level of damning. You know what I mean? How bad it could get. Yeah. Um, but I think it's uh, in, um, any, the WBA, any other notes that you want to? Yeah, keep going. Keep going. Yeah, well, they're, they're, the WBA have an office in Florida, but they're not uh, headquartered here. They're headquartered in, um, uh, I want to say Panama, but I'm not sure if I'm getting mixed up with any of the other sanctioned bodies. But they're outside of uh, the USA. However, according, I think it was according to... Uh, one of the boxing websites about two weeks ago it might have been Fight News, and this really, like, uh, you know, because I was already looking into this Cohen case, it really pricked my ears um, that they, the WBA were looking to, you know, uh, move their headquarters into the U.S. But if, if they're going to be doing that, then they're opening themselves up for, like... Uh, yeah, uh, in uh, Houston. I don't know, you know, you know like, a, um, mm-hmm. I don't know, even an FBI investigation or something. Yeah, it's just easier access, less yellow tape. Yeah. 
Yeah, because uh, I, I don't know if being in Panama, they might escape some jurisdiction. Florida might be able to um, look into it um, somehow because, you know, they've got an office there and the sports consulting services is based there. But, um, yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting seeing where this goes because, um, yeah, from, from everything I've been gathering over the past couple of weeks, this is, you know, the Cohen case is just the start and the Char case is, you know, kind of, kicking on from that but yeah it seems like there's more to come even even from there um but yeah but i mean you know corruption and boxing shock horror you know but it's uh things right, we, yeah. you know people in in the you know that you know people like us would probably you know think might be happening but you know this is kind of um you know one source i was speaking to you know they said it's a you know it's a smoking gun um you know the the you know the kind of almost the evidence um you know, that you'd be looking for to kind of prove what people suspect of some of these sanctioning bodies, if indeed that money had been shared, um, you know, uh, from sports consulting services to the WBA or and or uh, Ricardo Rizzo with the WBA. Yeah, if it can be proved that it wasn't just for, uh, what was the quote, pencils and paper, if it, if it can be proved, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, further, um because that's a lot of trees that they'd have to cut down for that. So uh, I don't yeah. think we'll, we'll see where that goes. Any other items that you'd like to uh, add to this? Anything in your notes right now that you that we haven't discussed on this topic here, Al? Uh, no, no, I'm 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 going to be up, um, looking to do more on this sort of W, you know, the sports consulting services. Who are they? And the, the WBA. I've definitely got more to come. So uh, you know, stay tuned on that. But um, have you have you talked about the um, Garcia tank fight on this podcast yet? Uh, no, I mean I talked a little bit about it uh, earlier in the show, but I hadn't really dug all the way deep. What's your, what's your thoughts on that? Because obviously, uh, you know it's 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 going to be kind of shaky uh, as far as the negotiations uh, goes. You know, I, I was just yeah, talking I about. I don't. Go ahead. What, what are your thoughts on it? I, I, the I odds just, uh, that it, it yeah, I'm not, I'd love to see it because I think the two, those two guys are quite contrasting personalities. You know, Tank's quite got like a, um, I wouldn't say shy, but like a quiet, uh, intimidating aura about him. And Ryan's yeah. quite, you know, um, extroverted and, um, uh-huh. you know, really good on social and, and um, you know, just taps into like, they both tap into the celebrity market. And, the, you know, the people in the front row at that fight would be, you know, if it was made, it would be like, uh, um, I don't know, like Denzel Washington oh, and you know, Madonna and, you know, these people that we sometimes see at fights. But, um, yeah, I just don't have confidence it can be made. I feel like um, the Jamel Charlo and uh, Hame Mungia uh, kind of escapade is like the prelude to, to this. I just don't see how the uh, zone and Showtime can really make it work as a joint pay-per-view. Um, because, you know, according to Leonard Ellaby, they, um, you know, maybe the promotions have sent um, Golden Boy, uh, you know, for, for Garcia, you know, uh, a, a fight to fight Tank twice in the past, but never worked out. Yeah. And that would, you know, it's always going to be, that would always be on Showtime. If the offers come from Showtime, this is what the, uh, you know, I guess why it didn't work out with um, Charlo and Mungia, that the, the offer came from Showtime. So it was like, this is the offer we want to f- make this fight on Showtime. And then, you know, Dizone, um, you know, Go- Golden Boy wanting Dizone to get involved and then just kind of fell through. So, you know, if this, it, you know, I think it's just kind of might be history repeating itself in this day, unless there can be some kind of uh, breakthrough. But I just really don't know what that breakthrough would be. 
Um, I, I, I think it would have to be team. Ryan Garcia going insubordinate because technically speaking, I know Oscar after this, after uh, he went on IG after he went live and talked about, you know, I'm the only one that can actually make this fight. I'll sit down and then he'd talk about, you know, I'll, I'll talk to Floyd. I'd rather talk to Floyd and negotiate this and Leonard LB, but then he'd go back to, I'm the one who can. And, and I thought that was a real direct shot at Ryan saying, his management, because technically your management can negotiate a deal as far as when offers are come. Now, the promotional, they do own you in this scenario, no doubt about it. However, if the manager and the fighter agree to terms, Ryan Garcia, rather than Munguia, who's got a lot more leverage this way than Munguia, could stand his ground and make it real difficult. Now, is he ready to be shelved? Is he ready to, you know, have a lawsuit or something? Because he's saying, hey, I, I can't make this type of money anywhere else except for this fight. So he could stand his ground. I just don't know, like you said, how realistic. I, I'm not holding my breath. I'm definitely not holding yeah. my breath on this one. But, hey, if we could get Spence Crawford, we already have a Canelo uh, Golovkin trilogy a couple weeks before that, Ortiz and um, Ruiz, if we could get those three fights to close the year and then layers of the schedule that is probably going to be announced here in the in the coming, like in the next month or so, we're going to start to fill out that fall schedule, that would be phenomenal. But, yeah, this would be the topper. I don't know. I mean, it's funny because I heard in an interview before the fight, Ryan Garcia said that, you know, his people and my people have – you know, reached out to each other, but they didn't want to do any kind of deal before. They wanted to make sure you got through the Fortuna fight, and then they'll go back to it. And even post-fight, Ryan Garcia said, you know, he's got to work it out, pointing to his manager. He's going to have to figure this out. So there is some layers there that they could really put the pressure on Oscar. And like I said, Ryan Garcia, I'll say this, he does have a track record of putting the pressure on Golden Boy, it, it's definitely proven, you know. Yeah, I mean, I I, I agree with you. I love seeing. I've, I've been loving hearing the, um, you know, the. Uh, if, if I'm going to try and be, you know, positive, I, I do love what I'm hearing from Ryan Garcia. It, like the fighters, they want these fights. I don't think that like. Oh, I think all fighters want these fights. It's not like you're going to get to where Ryan Garcia is or Javante Davis is and just be like, no, I don't want to fight, you know, Lomachenko right. or I don't want to fight uh, Devin Haney. Of course, they're going to want these fights. It just depends. Uh, you know, I, I hate to sound like a promoter, but it just depends whether the business um, side of it works. Sure. Like Leonard Delaby says it quite well sometimes, like, because um, he gives praise to top rank quite a lot. Like, you know, when it makes sense for both sides, they do it. And, you know, top, you know, they they do have these, you know, times when, um, you know, they work together. Like Wilder and Fury, they kept working together, top rank and, um, uh, you know, the PBC. So, uh, you know, it can be done, but... Um, yeah, it would be, yeah, like right. you said, it would be great for Ryan Garcia to keep the pressure up. Um, you know, Javante's quite quiet. I'm not, I'm, I'm not expecting him to, you know, make too much public. But, yeah, I, I, I think both guys want it. And I, I just think it would be such a good fight. I think it would end by knockout. If, if I'm honest, I think, um, you know, I have, to say, I have to say, I think Javante probably wins, you know, within six to nine rounds. But, you know, if, if Ryan could touch him like, you know, uh, nobody else is really – you know, touched him yeah. uh, in terms of like power. You know, that would be awesome speed to see. And power, you, know. you know, yeah, the speed and power yeah, that yeah. would be in that ring that night 
Whew. That would be something to watch, no doubt about it. Yeah. Well, let's see. Well, I'll definitely uh, contact you in the future as you start to, you know, as we get into the fall and whatnot and get you back on a segment or even if, you know, there's some articles that pop off or anything like that, I'll definitely, uh, you know, I'll keep you in mind on that and, and, you know, obviously work around your schedule and whatnot. But I want to say before we close this, I want to commend you on the great coverage and work, Kenahan, you know, situation. Uh, Not many people – we're talking about it, and I want to commend you on that, Al. That that was uh, I'm really impressed. You. Yeah, any, I'm impressed thank with you. you. Yeah, any, so any far, time, any time you've got a spot, I'll, I'll 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 come on. But yeah, I'll, I'm amazed that no that more writers didn't get involved in uh, the Daniel Kinahan scandal. Like that was to me, you know, I was kind of led by the, the you know the, all the like crime reporters and uh, a few of the yeah. uh, boxing sports journalists in Ireland, and you know it seemed you know up until maybe 2019, 2020, quite like a I don't know, maybe people just saw it as an Irish uh, problem, but, I mean, Daniel Kinahan's fingerprints were on so many aspects of, of, of uh, I mean, he ran so many parts of European boxing, but his fingerprints were coming into America as well. How could it not be one of the biggest stories, not just in boxing, in sport? You know, as a boxing yeah. writer, why wouldn't you be, why wouldn't you be honing in on that? And, and you know, you know, utilizing your contact it's book. It's very and, telling. You know, it's very telling. Yeah, it's, it, you know? it, uh, mate, I, I couldn't believe it. I still can't believe that the only people really outside of Ireland uh, who, you know, have really, um, you know, written about it more than like, you know, a handful of times have been myself, Jake Donovan at Boxing Scene and Matt Christie at the Boxing News magazine in, in the UK. Um, Tris Dixon, yeah, I think he's written about a, a few times, but... I don't know. There's so many layers there. It's like you know, when he got sanctioned, uh, I, I don't think I've, I've ever been as um, busy as on the phone as that week. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, I was on that press conference call with the with the Irish police, where they had um, uh, representatives of law enforcement or ambassadors from various countries, including the UK, the US, and I think a couple of places in Europe too. And it was just like, you know, you could tell that the, the, the guards in Ireland were like, uh, you know, proud of what they'd organized there, having the U.S. involved, not just sanctioning Daniel Kinahan sure. so publicly on the Monday, but then on the Tuesday, issuing a $15 million bounty for information that might lead to the financial disruption uh, or the arrest or the conviction of uh, Daniel Kinahan and then his dad, Christy, Christopher, Christopher Kinahan Sr., and then his brother, uh, Christy um, Kinahan uh, Jr. $15 million for three people, I think. You might want to check this. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, Osama bin Laden had a $25 million bounty, and these three um, Dubai-based wow, yeah. Irish suspected narco-terrorists had a $15 million collective bounty uh, on their head. Um, yeah, and it, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, that, but it's gone a little bit quiet, I have to admit. Like, um, I mean, one of the main stories, I think, was when um, there was a UFC fighter, Manuel Luzez, who came out on, uh, and I was there, shouted at Daniel Kinahan. Like, so, like, it was so random. I really wasn't right, expecting yeah, him yeah. to, like, praise Kinahan on, live on ESPN. Um, that kind of blew up. And then, you know, just, the, uh, you know, who the level of how many uh, people involved in British boxing and maybe even European boxing uh, are on, you know, no-fly lists to the U.S. And I think when we are talking about the level of, uh, you know, the department that's looking into Daniel Kinnan in the U.S., you know, it's quite intense. It's called the um, Financial Intelligence and Terrorism Unit, yeah? And it's, uh, there's, there's yeah. like a, a, you know, an information sharing network that the U.S. has with, um, the, you know, the other main English-speaking countries, so Canada, Australia, uh, New Zealand, and, and, and then the U.K., obviously. Um, 
so it kind of didn't it wasn't too much of a surprise that um you know uh, someone like ben davison couldn't get into uh, the us and then he you know wasn't to be found in the corner of devon haney in australia um uh, devon haney confirmed confirmed to me that uh ben was having visa issues and i tried to uh, you know i was reaching out to ben davison trying to get clarity on what the issues actually were but um, you know, they, he didn't answer or, or didn't see the messages. Um, right. But yeah, there's a few people on that list quite prominently, apparently. Matthew Macklin, um, potentially Coop and Cassius. These, these, those three people have all had um, visa issues, not being able to get into the U.S., whether it's related to an alleged association with Daniel Kinahan is unclear. But, you know, there's certainly people in British boxing who have struggled to get into the U.S. since the sanctions came down. And... Um, yeah, I kind of feel feel bad for. I don't feel bad for anyone who's sports washing and saying fake news about Daniel Kinahan. Um, you know, they for me they've laid their bed, right. you know. Um, but they, I feel sorry for like when you're talking about the MTK global roster, they had so many boxers. They had like mm. you know, I, I want to say like 300, maybe even more. Uh, and we really only ever hear about the you know, it's so top heavy with Tyson Fury and right. Joshua Taylor. Uh, but then when you get to like the guys who had like maybe one fight. You know, they might not, like, you know, do you really know who is shaking your hand and, and signing you to, like, a advisory deal? You know, are you really going to go on the Internet and look up who Daniel Kinahan is? I, can't, I kind of feel sorry for some people like that who are, like, maybe 18 years old, up to, like, 23 years right. old, you know, who wouldn't really have the, uh, you know, the concept of due diligence in their head, you know, kind of getting, like, swayed by, you know, maybe, you know, cash advance and, you know, we're going to get you on yeah. TV and, well, it seems you know, all those fighters. It keeps yeah. happening. So why wouldn't you think yeah. it was okay? Because it was allowed yeah. for this, this amount of time, you know? Yeah, and are, are they even going to get representation now? You know, like, uh, Probellum lost their Discovery yeah. uh, TV deal, you know, so there's broadcasters playing, there's less TV dates for, um, you know, boxers in Europe. Uh, yeah, I, feel, I do feel sorry. There's, victim, there's definitely victims in the story. I don't begrudge, um, you know, everyone who signed with MTK or Daniel Kinahan, but the people who, you know, I would, I would always be critical of are the people who are actively saying what a great guy he is and, you know, all these stories like mine and people in the Irish uh, reporters from Ireland, you know, they're downplaying the severity of what we were writing. Uh, you know, frankly, you know, they can go fuck themselves. You know, fuck it. You know, they they were so smug about you know, trying to portray Daniel Kinahan. You know, how often are we talking about fake news? You know, this, this concept, you know, has been yeah. thrown around by Donald Trump in the, like, the last five years. But what, what IFL were, do, were doing was fake news. You know, it was like a whole propaganda wing to try and, um, I think even, don't want to rope her into it too much because I only knew, knew, I only saw one video, but Michelle Joy Phelps was interviewing uh, uh, Spencer Theron, Who's uh who run who did run oh, yeah. an alleged yeah. you know charity uh, like an MTK right. charity, you know like put down knives or something like that. Uh, and and you know she, he, Spencer Fearon was on her channel saying he's the Messiah of boxing. It's a fucking joke. Right. You know no he wasn't. You know it was he, it was always going to be bad for boxing. It was always going to get to the point where you know he's either going to get arrested or you know there's just going to be this whole you know um, you know media. Uh, you know, and police investigative downpour like we had in April with the sanctions, where it's just going to come, you know, crumbling down. And it, 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 Daniel Kinahan's imprint in boxing has been provably bad, you know. You know, how, how uh, bad is it that Tyson Fury can't now get fights in the U.S.? Yeah. You know, he says right. he's retired, but, you know, if he wasn't retired, you know, how big would um, 
I don't know. He he could come back and fight, um, you know, anyone in the U.S. You know, he was building up an audience here. Uh, anyone else, like Josh Taylor, is he going to get be able to get fights in the U.S. anymore? You know, a, a lot of top U, uh, European boxers aren't going to be able to fight in the U.S. for probably the rest of their careers because of, uh, you know, what the U.S. Treasury will see as a potentially a um, you know an affiliation with a you know quite serious alleged narco terrorist. Yeah, there was a lot of cleanup propping up, you know, legitimizing, you know, something that, and and we're not going to get into it, and this is me talking, but, but, you know, the things that were written, the numerous things, numbers-wise, uh, financial investment stuff about Al Heyman, comparatively, it really tells a story, and it's super, like I said, telling of why, what, where, and all that stuff, and it, you don't really even have to you don't need a calculator to add this stuff up and be like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes more sense. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty basic. But that's why we have guys like you mentioned, Jake, and you, Al, on here because you guys are doing your job, and I appreciate it, and I look forward to talking to you in the future. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find your work um, and your Twitter handle and, and all that good stuff? Oh, thanks, Chris. Yeah, there you can find me at uh, Alan Dawson Sport. Uh, on Twitter. I'm not really on any other channels. I'm sometimes on Instagram, but I mainly just pick, take photos of what I'm doing in Vegas. Um, but yeah, if you want to see a feed of like stories I'm working on or things like that, then I'm like mildly active on Twitter. Uh, if not, there's an author page of mine on Insider where, you know, like I, you know, I don't just do the investigative stuff. I, I you know, attend fights, I, you know, the interview fighters to kind of straddle that or try and straddle that balance between access and investigative. Um, and I haven't really lost any access, to be honest with you. I know, like, some people were saying, oh, maybe writers aren't, um, you know, going after Daniel Kinahan, or maybe right. now, you know, hopefully people are going to look into the WBA, but I, I don't have any, you know, too high hopes that that's going to be written about by many, too many other boxing writers. But, you know, you don't lose access. I've, n I've not lost any access. Uh, I I've never had more access. You know, I'm living in Vegas, and I've got access to top-ranked TBC. UFC, uh, Golden Boy, you know, all the promoters, Bellator, all the promoters that are on the West Coast. Um, yeah. But, yeah, yeah. Um, so you can find all that stuff. I'm not going to shy away from any big story, really. Um, and, uh, it, you know, it's just, it's just a bit of a weird sport that we're in where we can have, you know, that we were talking earlier about how good this year has been for boxing, but then it's also been a year right, where... Yeah. We've had Daniel Kinahan getting sanctioned by the U.S. Treasury, and we've got uh, the WBA being, uh, you know, um, quite linked to severe accusations of bribery in, in two separate, two completely se separate court cases that are going on at the same time. Uh, they're not yet to trial. I don't think either of them are set to trial. They're all going through the discovery phase. But um, yeah, we, you know, we've got the best in this sport, but we've also got the worst. Mm. Don't you know <laughs> that is funny when you said it that way? Like we're having a great year. I mean, besides that, but I mean, we're having a, in the ring, we're having a great yeah. year, you know? Yeah, that, that yeah, really that's why I want to try and always keep the fighters out of it. I didn't really try and target yeah, many, yeah, um, fighters when it was came to Daniel Kinahan. I kind of kept my focus on Kinahan. Same with the WBA. Yeah. Like, couldn't help but mention Jarrell Miller and the Bob Dan, the new fight, because that's just what the, uh, one of the payments to sports consultancy services right. and Ricardo Rizzo is for. But, yeah, I mean, you know, you you know, the the athletes that we have in boxing are um, you know, incredible really, going through what they do, you know, it's quite a um well, it's a really tough sport and 
seeing, I was at the Boxing Hall of Fame earlier this year, uh, only a couple of months ago. I was speaking to Tris Dixon, actually, and we, we were just talking about, you know, who deserves to be in the hall. And, you know, Tris, was, Tris said something that really stuck me. It was like, you know, a lot more people probably do deserve to be in the hall because, you know, it's such a tough sport and it takes so much out of you. And, you know, it means a lot sometimes to some of these fighters who come in who might not have uh, broken through as much as like Floyd Mayweather did, but then to get you know, the uh, complete, you know, adulation of the fans that travel all the way over to Canastota, you know, the media like myself, we try and, like, get quotes from them, and, you know, it just makes them feel big again. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know why I'm kind of mentioning that, but, um, yeah, we just we do have a lot of good in this sport, and it's, the, you know, the athletes, um, you know, that kind of make it what it is. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, well, we'll hear from you in the future. I appreciate you taking time out, and uh, have yourself a good night, Al. You too. Thanks, Chris. See you soon. Yep. All right. Take it easy. All righty. We are going to change course quickly, get right back into the ring on some Brian Garcia knockout stuff. We'll talk about that card. You know, that, like I mentioned earlier, that card on paper, I was really interested in it. And you know how some, sometimes once it's in the ring, it just it's really one sided beyond that first fight I talked about a little bit. Um and we'll talk about the ESPN plus and we do have an interesting double header um on ESPN plus, I believe. I think there's interesting fights, you know. Um nothing crazy, but uh, you know, most of the time it's not that crazy, right? And then we'll talk about some other fight news and whatnot. Um there's a variety of stuff out there uh to talk about, no doubt about it. Uh, I didn't even mention this, but Connor Penn and Chris Eubank Jr. Um, is that close to being announced? Uh, we kept hearing Eddie Hearn saying, we're still trying to get Thurman. We're trying to do this. We're trying to do that. That's the fight we want to make. And, and, and then we hear that it's they've agreed to terms. So we'll, we'll talk about a variety of fight news and whatnot. But let's go ahead and bring in John into the fold. What's going on, John? How you doing, man? Chris, uh very interesting uh, listening to you talk with Al Dawson there. Uh, agreed with a lot of stuff that uh, Al talked about. Uh, definitely. Yeah, I want, I want your take on that off on top, fight. actually. I, I would yeah, like your take if you give me some of it. I think it's worth picking right back up on because it was a great discussion. And I think Al pretty much was hitting on a lot of the problems that have continued with the sport and, and some of those even in the modern era that have, that have gotten even worse, which to me would be, you know, it, it's, it's kind of directly and indirectly re- related to some of the biggest problem in the sport, which is, uh, you know, the, the alphabet organizations, not, not being legitimate organizations and then having all these belts and, you know, w- watering everything down and and then basically TV and broadcasting being too much in cahoots with them. Uh, there's been times they've drawn the line that we've talked about, but then they always seem to throw uh, the towel back in. And I, I think another underrated issue of it, and this all really does even tie into a lot of the in-ring discussions we're talking, you know, you were talking about that, and then Al's talking about with different fighters and some of the fights we've just seen, uh, too many weight classes. I mean, that's that's why. And this is not just Ryan Garcia. This is this is pretty much almost everybody. Uh, you know, 
there's too many weight classes. So, you know, Ryan, and you know, Teddy Atlas, you can love him or hate him or be in between whatever, but, but he's talked over the years sometimes about the weights like that. And I don't agree with everything Teddy said, and he's gotten bitter about some things, but there are some things he's made good points about, which is, this is not, and I'm not, I'm not, in, in on the bandwagon picking on Ryan Garcia. It's just an example because this just happened this weekend, but it's, but it's all these different fighters. Um, you know, it's, it's very easy. You know, there's a 140 that we don't need at the weight class. You know, I only think we need nine. I mean, you know, the original eight plus a cruiser weight, that's as far as I'd go. Uh, I, I would adamantly uh, argue that we don't need any of those other weight classes. And I think you can make a compelling case for that. Uh, so yeah, you know, there's, he doesn't he doesn't have to make a choice between fighting at one of the original eight weight classes, lightweight where he just was, or make the jump all the way up to the other original eight weight class welterweight. Those that would give him something where he'd have to think since you got a 140 that you don't need and you got a million belts, he's going to fight at 140. And now, okay, so somebody could say, well, hey, John. Uh, did, didn't Devin Haney just pick up all the alphabet belts that, you know, lightweight 135 pounds and Josh Taylor did it at 140. Yeah. And look, they're, they're already is going to be, you know, a, a strip tease of Josh Taylor of some belts. Um, it won't be long before that happens with Devin Haney too. So, you know, if you want to try, a lot of people want to try to defend the alphabets with the, oh, well, you know, this undisputed is, is kind of a hip thing to say he's big now and people like to talk about it. But it's not the answer because you never have the one true champion making any defenses because there's always going to be titles getting stripped and there's too many weight classes. So, you know, what's going to stop Devin Haney from, you know, then, then fighting at 140 for the same reasons and, you know, Tank's already taken a fight at 140. And, and I'd submit that showing that we don't need all these weight classes again, I've said it before, I'll, I'll say it again, I feel confident of it. All these guys are going to end up at welterweight 147 pounds, which is the m- more historic division. And, you know, you've got fighters who have picked up the real title in that division, like lineal, like, you know, Floyd Mayweather and Sugar Ray Leonard and Roberto Duran and Sugar Ray Robinson, you know, the history goes on and on. Uh, Manny, you know, Manny Pacquiao's fought as a welterweight for a long time. So too many weight classes, too many belts ties into what Al's talking about with doing real journalism. And as part of doing real journalism, as you know, you, you saw great journalists throughout history in sports and in areas outside of sports do you know, you investigate it like attorneys have to investigate things. He's, he's totally accurately described the discovery process in civil lawsuits. He's obviously done his research and he's done his own investigation, which as a civil lawyer myself, I've done many times, which it's amazing how when you dig just beneath the front of a corporate name, it's hiding in plain sight as to who the players are. And, you know, that's what Al did. He, he, checked out that corporate name. He saw the Mendoza's directly involved in it. And, and you, know, you know, you frankly, you see that with even bigger operations than the WBA. Some of them hide their corporate ties better than others. A lot of them are very lazy about it. And, and believe it or not, you'll see many big operations uh, do it just like the WBA did. I've seen it with mining companies, you know, all over West Virginia that had a history of doing that. Same type of stuff, just like you saw the Mendozas do 
know, trying to hide from liability. And all you got to do is a little research as to who's behind the registrations or do a little digging. And you start putting two and two together. And, and as Al said, it's, it's obviously it's obvious what they did. I don't even think you really you know, need the Ali Act for that. It's just it's just plain old plain old corruption, you know. Uh, but but all you got to do is look at look at the ratings of of all the sanctioning bodies. I mean, it's not just the WBA. I mean, to be a rocket scientist to look at the ratings of any of the four sanctioning bodies, and you know that type of thing's going on from the circumstantial evidence because you see who who rank, who gets ranked and who gets into these mandatory positions, and and it's absurd. And there is collusion between the four sanctioning bodies because they don't rank each other's champions. Uh, and, and, and why is that? Well, they're, they're colluding together to keep this scam going. You know, if they, if they start, like, let's say the WBA, the WBA could rank a WBO champion number one as their mandatory contender, well, then whoever has real ratings and the best ratings is ultimately going to put the other ones out of business. And they none of none of the four of them want that. They all, you know, just want to collude and, and keep doing what they've been doing. So, um, but you know, as Chris, as you've pointed out many times, and Al pointed out, and and you've been on this for a long time, and you're absolutely right. Um, and you know, you, you see it in boxing. It's really bad in boxing because, of course, boxing's more of a niche sport, and some people call it an outlaw sport. But you even see it in different ways with the NFL and things like that. You know, you've got people who, you know, their their bread is buttered through the status quo and 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 just keeping things going rather than doing real journalism, whether it be broadcast journalism or print journalism or both. So they're not going to do it. In other words, you know, and like Al correctly pointed out, I think an underrated issue is he identified one that's underrated in all sports where. You know, you know, you can't worry so much about access to, say, fighters or managers or promoters or TV people that you're not following your own journalistic in- integrity. And, like, you know, where a typical right. example, well, you'll see that with the NFL is like, and this stuff drives me crazy. You know, I, I don't, I don't want, I don't want journalists like, like laughing it up with Tom Brady and like showing off on TV that Tom Brady's my buddy and having yeah. belly laughs and stuff like that because I know damn well I can get Aaron doing... Rodgers on a live stream, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> right, right. You know, because I know darn well, you know, you know damn well you're you're just throwing Tom Brady softballs and you're not you're, you're yeah. not reporting anything else about him and. You know, well, wow, look at me. You know, I'm 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 Aaron Rodgers' buddy, or I'm Tom Brady's buddy. Don't talk to me. But and you ask them a bunch of softballs, like they're they're appearing on a morning TV show or something like that. And you know, it's it's just it's just absurd. I mean, there's no, and, and it may seem pie in the sky, but one of the only ways you can combat these things, and and certainly not the answer. People are going to violate it, but you know, you have to. You have to people who are doing journalism broadcast or print they they've got to file they've got to follow journalistic code of ethics and that's you know that's just getting worse and worse it's just not and and you know with the boxing media as you point out Chris correctly I mean it's it's ridiculous there, there's not you know I'm not saying everyone but there's not many of them following them and and it's got worse 
this has been pointed out a lot, and it's true, as the newspapers, the traditional newspapers faded and they stopped reporting boxing and boxing got more niche, they were not funding boxing writers anymore. So, you know, boxing journalists and, and, you know, then the ring's owned by a promoter now, you know, and, and, you know, the ring had a scandal in the seventies. I know that and stuff were, you know, but, but that's, it shows you that their ratings actually mattered at that point. Now their ratings ultimately got purchased by Don King for the USBA tournament on ABC, which is, you know, this is this kind of stuff we're talking about nowadays. So it shows you how far back it goes. And that was the ring. But what was interesting is, you know, Don King, the, the ring's ratings mattered then. You know what I mean? Like, in other words, yeah. uh, you know, everybody knew the alphabets were a joke. So, you know, he, he went for that tournament. They were going to use the ring ratings to make it credible. And Don King bought, Don King bought off the ring, bought off the ring ratings, you know, um, and, you know, they, they've all done it. You know, Aram testified that he's paid bribes yeah. to these alphabet people. You know, it, it's all of them. I'm, I'm not single on that name. It's, it's all of them. But no, of course. Just that. But, you know, where, where I don't I don't get saying why I'm kind of on the rant with it. it. And it ties in. Al got me going because he's right on target. And you had a great discussion with him. Fans have got to wise up about, you know, you, you can't be defending the alphabets. I mean, they're, they're all corrupt. I mean, the answer right. is not, well – you know, we just got to throw in the towel. That's the way it is. No, no, that, that's not the way it is. You know, these, these guys are, these guys are corrupt. And, and Al pointed out an excellent point that I totally believe in that I don't think has been pointed out enough lately. You know, there's some people that honest to God mean, well, I don't even think some of these people are, are bought off or are being biased, but they want the boxers to make money and they don't like what the UFC does. So, because they're so focused on being anti-UFC, they defend the sanctioning bodies. And, you know, the sanctioning bodies are no answer for anything. I mean, and, and Al pointed that out. In other words, what, that's what always bothers me about the sanctioning bodies. You know, like, like there's these people that hate the UFC that will say, oh, well, this, this IBF number one contender who was, you, you know, he, he, he made a big payday because of the sanctioning bodies. But like Al just pointed out, if – if the guy's completely undeserving and it's just been corruption that got him a number one mandatory position and he makes a big payday instead of a guy who's a tougher fighter, who's better, but doesn't have somebody who, who uh, bribed the sanctioning bodies, that's, that's not justice. That's not better than the UFC. You know what I mean? Like, and that, that doesn't mean I'm like out here defending certain things that, UFC does because I don't like how the fighters make less money. I want the fighters to make as much as possible. But these sanctioning bodies are no answer. You know, bo- boxing's model is no answer with the sanctioning body bodies, and, and the money's not dispersed. You know, all the way through the sport. I mean, you've got undercard fighters risking their life for five hundred bucks. You know, and they've got to pay a trainer and stuff. I mean, you can't say that's really a good. <laughs> you know, you know, sure, Canelo makes a lot of money. Uh, you know, Fury Wilder and Joshua have made a lot of money. You know, a lot of other guys haven't made that much money, and so it's it's not. I like the, the vast majority. Have, you know, the vast majority of fighters. The way I look at that is, would I rather have Deontay Wilder or Tyson Fury or Anthony Joshua or Canelo Alvarez make that money than Dana White? Just like I'd rather have them make it than a boxing promoter. Sure, I would. Of course, I would. But that doesn't mean boxing has got a, got a, a great system or a workable system with these corrupt sanctioning bodies and all these belts and these weight classes and these corrupt ratings. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's not an answer. So I think, 
I think the first thing is that the fans got to, you know, because the fans can have some control there, you know, by ignoring the sanctioning bodies and just treating them for what they are, because then TV will pull more away from them. I mean, you know, I, I think for TV and broadcast, why they've kind of closed their eyes to some of the corruption is, you know, boxing's not regulated like the NFL, the N- the NBA, you know, Major League Baseball. So I think for them, I, this has been kind of pointed out, I think it's true, like, you know, for boxing, I think TV looks at all those alphabet belts and titles and weight classes as like their equivalent of adding more teams to the playoffs. You know, I mean, boxing's not organized like that. And I think for, you know, all the networks, you know, Showtime, The Zone, you know, ESPN, uh, you know, anybody that's been in it, I think that's kind of their equivalent of more teams making the playoffs, you know, expanded playoffs. Like, well, well, we can advertise a belt with every show we put out there. Um, so I think that's probably part of their going along with it. But, you know, like like everything's got to be a playoff game kind of thing, you know, like right. with all these teams making the playoffs. But, you know, there's got to be a limit to teams making the playoffs. And, and that's just the same with boxing. There's got to be a limit to belts and weight classes and, you know, it's, it's where do you draw the line? I mean, even even the the four major sports, it's, it's gone too far. I mean, do you need baseball with three wild card teams? You know, in, in each league, I I would say no. You know, NBA and NHL have always had too many teams making the playoffs. But you know, they they say well, fans like it, they want to see it. I I don't think you have to have it, but kind of that's kind of where TV comes into it. So. Uh, but, you know, the, the corruption, at, at least if it wasn't cor- boxing, at least if it wasn't corrupt, I mean, at least if you can take the corruption out of it, which is not too much to ask, even though it's always been a problem, I mean, which is getting rid of these sanctioning bodies. I mean, that's, you know, that that's a start. I, I do actually think it's realistic. So, I mean, they're, they're not credible. You know, we know their ratings aren't credible. Really, the titles aren't credible. So, you know, it seems like fan, Yeah, we got to stop cheerleading because of right. a certain fighter you like or whatever. And this goes to the press, part-time media and full-time media as well. And I think 126 WBA is a perfect example. First of all, nobody should say this is what should happen because the WBA, after all, John, the WBA is the one who allowed this mess at 126 to happen for three and a half years or whatever. So they already allowed yeah. it. They're already in the wrong for that. And then – now they're going to, you know, you can make an argument that the Ray Vargas is a better fight for Santa Cruz than Lee Wood. You know, like I'll be happy right. with either one, but if I, if I had to choose, I would pick Vargas. So I'm not going to, but I'm not going to, you know, if the Lee Wood happens, I'm not going to say, oh, it's a crappy fight. Oh, what the hell? And I could see rightfully so Lee Wood should be there. But when I say rightfully so, that's pretty empty because once again, the core problem was of them allowing for this to happen. We can't sit there and side with either one. Oh, that's the right decision. No, the the wrong or the wrong decision has already been made. It, there's no right decision now in that scenario, and we could go on and on throughout you know all these weight classes uh, when it comes to that. You know, it, it's just uh, sometimes we do get caught up in that uh, so much that you know, and a lot of it does have to do with this type of decision with the uh, you know interim belts franchise as we know the rankings man some of these rankings you know we're like porter in the ibf he loses to brooke and gets knocked way down 
why? You know what I mean? Why, why would he get knocked way down? You know, there's so many examples that we can't pick and choose uh, who you're affiliated with or you like or blah, 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 blah uh, in this scenario. Um, but it is a good discussion, and I'm glad that uh, Al came on to give a little bit more detail, and it was good to, you know, have you follow up as well, being, you know, your background in the sport, and, you know, you're a lawyer as well, obviously, so that helps too in future reference. Um, let's get back in the ring with Ryan Garcia and Javier Fortuna. Um, first of all, what'd you think? I mean, he it was pretty clear that he looked better than his last fight. Of course, he, you know, he had just fought not too long ago, whereas he had had that long break for like 15 or 16 months or something like that, or at least a year. Um, looked pretty damn good doing it. What did you think overall is the performance? And then your thoughts on, you know, the potential basically drawing a line in the sand, sand on, the, on the Garcia side. I shouldn't say the Garcia side, on the Golden Boy promotion side, because Ryan hasn't said this at all. Um, in fact, he said it outright, F Golden Boy, I'm going to get this done. He said it on camera. So um, I'm not going to put that on him per se. But what did you think of his performance? And, uh, you know, he also talks about, well, if I can't get Tank, I'll go Tiafimo. Well, that's going to be an issue, too, probably. Um, but what are your thoughts just in general as far as in the ring? And then kind of give your thoughts. You know, we'll get into this card a little bit in that ESPN card a little bit, too. Yeah, well, in the ring, this one, you know, I always say, you know, it doesn't happen every time. But uh, there are ones I feel like I had a good beat on. I, I felt like this was one. And, and I, for me, it's not that Fortuna's even that he's that faded or didn't have that much of a camp or something. It's just, I, you know, I just don't think Fortuna's on the level of talent that, you know, Ryan Garcia is. And, and I thought people were giving Fortuna a little too much credit going in. I, I think this, this was a fight that really was a good opportunity to make this point because I see a lot of confusion out there. And I, I still do even after this fight, but certainly before it. I mean, look, if there's something about you that just because of the way you look at boxing doesn't like what Ryan Garcia is about, he's too much of a pretty boy for you, or you don't like his demeanor, or because he's got a big social media following, uh, or because the girls like him, that doesn't mean he can't fight. I mean, this guy had an extensive amateur background, you know, was rivals with Devin Haney, in the amateurs, they, they'd beaten each other, but this one's on YouTube, and of course, I, you know, it's where, where I spent a lot of my time, uh, along with Jersey. I mean, they fought in Charleston, West Virginia, in the, the top junior tournament in the United States, and Garcia won that one. It's on YouTube. Um, so, you know, and, and, and you, you can see his speed and power, so here's a guy with a top amateur pedigree who's young, who's got good size for the weight classes he's fought, and obviously has a lot of speed and power. I mean, if you don't like what, what you perceive this guy to be about, that doesn't have anything to do with his fighting talent. And it, it's led to some weird takes with him. I mean, I think some people got to snap out of it because you're, you're going to be missing the boat. Uh, some people still didn't even get it after the fight. Um, I thought, you know, Garcia is what I expected. And, and why I expected it was, you know, you, you want to make sure you're not making excuses. But I said this at the time of the fight. I've been saying it since. Tago was in such a survival mode against Ryan Garcia. I mean, sure, you'd like Garcia to get him out of there anyway. And I look for that. But when, 
the guy is in that level of survival mode, it can be hard to get the guy out of there. And, you know, he did still drop him one every round. Uh, so I, I just didn't put much stock in that. I said it immediately after the fight. And so I saw people who are pretty knowledgeable that were drawing wrong conclusions from that. And I think that that also got him off track, whether they were biased against Garcia or not. I mean, that Tago was such a survival performance. He did nothing. He, he didn't come to win. He didn't come to fight. Uh, he just came to survive. You, you, it was so bad. You couldn't really draw much out of it. So I knew Fortuna, you know, I mean, whatever effort we look at that he did give, um, you know, he pretty much got blown out of there, but you know, he, he didn't run around to just survive. And I knew he wouldn't do that. You know, he's got some offense. He's a better fighter than Tagger too. So I, I didn't think he'd be in that kind of survival mode. So I thought it'd give Ryan Garcia a chance to be impressive because he, he could just tee off on him, which he did. Um, one thing I really liked, I thought you broke it down right, Chris. It's funny because I really liked this that Ryan Garcia did, and he went away from it, and ironically got more effective. But just since it's something that's tricky to do, it showed good development with Joe Goosen, who, who did train him beforehand, and he had that extensive amateur career. But I like seeing it, even though he went away from it. In the first two rounds, he, he correctly did the classic attack that they've always taught on the southpaw, really almost to perfection where, you know, he was, he was nailing him with a straight right-hand lead, and then he was throwing a good hard left hook, which, you know, he's got a big left hook, and, and using those yep. punches and, you know, totally controlling things for the first couple of rounds. And then, as you pointed out correctly, for whatever reason, he decided to abandon that, and he just started opening up with combinations, you know, just – generally not going with that classic attack of a southpaw and and he got even more devastating but i like just that i don't like to i think sometimes some people get too far carried away with the technical but i i did like seeing that in that that first two rounds that he showed that classic ability to be able to attack a southpaw and I, and i was impressed with that and then you know he just started letting his hands go and continued even more dominant and you know fortuna was never in the fight got him out of there within six. I, I thought it could be a, a first half of the fight KO, uh, you know, called for it basically before the fight. And, you know, on that one, it came through. This is just one. It doesn't always happen, but this is one that played out like I thought it would. And, you know, Ryan Garcia is a formidable force. I, I've, I've thought it before, and I'm back to thinking. I just think him and all these guys are going to end up at welterweight. I mean, I like the scenario. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Spence and Crawford are going to fight. There doesn't seem to be anything in the way of it now. In the fall, I think PBC is careful how many events they want to run during football. You've seen signs of that over the years. Not that they haven't run any, but you hear rumors of it, and I think it'll probably be true. It looks like this fall they're going to be really careful. You know, like you mentioned, they're going to run Ortiz, Ruiz, which will be Labor Day weekend before NFL really kicks into full gear. And then I think they're trying to find the sweet spot for that Spence and Crawford. And you look at when they're having Charlo and Zoo. You know, I was just about to mention, that probably yeah. is a, a, a great uh, news, probably, if that's true, for Spence and Crawford. Right. I mean, I think that that's why they probably pushed that. So just about when the NFL's over, you know, the playoffs will just to be about done then and you're just wait, you know, getting near waiting on the Super Bowl. I don't think that's a coincidence. So I think – 
they're looking for what they see will be their biggest sweet spot for Spence Crawford, considering that they may run it during football and they got to be careful. And I, I don't think they're going to run. I mean, they'll, they'll run some stuff to keep some guys busy, but I don't think they're going to run anything else big. You know, I don't know exactly what, you know, Cadello and Golovkin three, they're going to run that, you know, of course, kind of in conjunction with Mexican independence day, what they like to do. And that's going to be key for DAZN. I think that does to me tie into the Ryan Garcia. Where does it go from here? You know, of course, people talking tank. I agree with Al. You know, I think he's got to analyze right. Um, you know, two guys that seem to appeal to younger demographic have some followings in different ways. It uh, could be a big matchup that way. I don't think it's imminent, but but I think could it happen someday? Yeah, maybe. I think all these guys, like I said, I really do. There's too many weight classes. I think all these guys, even Tank, I've said it before, people like to scoff at me for it. I'll still stay with it. He's made lightweight more than I thought, but I still think he ends up as a welterweight too. Uh, he'll pick his spots as to who he fights, especially because his punch volume's dropping. Um, you know, and I think his power might carry. He took out Barrios at 140. You know, he's going to have to, believe it or not, watch the smaller guy. Even though he can take him out with one shot, he's going to be in danger of getting out hustled. So even though he's not tall yeah. for, for these weights, I, I think he moves up. I just, I've just i always thought it with who PBC's got available. I do think it'll happen. I think Ryan Garcia is tall. He's going to do it. I, I think he'll do the 140 for a little while, and he'll probably get this interested with that. So, you know, Spence, it'll be Spence and Crawford fighting. Then, you know, does the winner want to stay at Welter any longer with these other guys coming up? Uh, you know, guys, of course, like Boots Ennis are there as well. Or does that person maybe – I do think this scenario is possible if he keeps staying there. You know, is Jermel Charlo going to maybe be there if he beats you a little longer? And, and that's a possibility. But I think around that, you know, Welterweight 147 and then with maybe – a big fight at 154 in the offing. I think all these guys are going to gravitate there. They'll pick their spots, but I think they're going to be in that weight range. I, I don't think it it settles at 140. And I think what it comes down to in the out of the ring, like we keep getting around here, here's, I think there's really like just a few scenarios for where some of these fights could happen. I think like you're pointing out one scenario would be just, which these are usually the simplest, you know, does Ryan Garcia, you know, maybe he leaves Golden Boy and, you know, then disown at some point. But, you know, what might stop that from happening is, you know, they criticize some PBC guys for this. I, I didn't criticize them because I want the fighters to make as much as possible. And all promotions are doing it to, to some degree. Top Rank does seem to do it a little less. I'll give them that with their business strategy. But, like, you know, rumors are credible reports that Ryan Garcia got $2 million for a fight in Javier Fortuna. You know, if he can get two million for fighting Javier Fortuna, he might not be. Right. You know, he might. Right, you're laughing. He might not be jumping that quickly. So, I'm not yeah. going to count on that. That's a scenario, but I can maybe see why it might not happen. Like you know, yeah, they could entice the pot more too. They could double that, right. keep him fighting over there. Yeah, that's true. It's very true. But here's the here's he the would other have way to go insubordinate at this point. You know, to make right. the fight, in my opinion. But I do think there's another way it could happen. And, and this is kind of, I don't even think it's underrated. I think that this could be coming to fruition right now. Um, you know, when Mannix talks about, well, the zones got invested, you know, there is truth to that. But, but we know when we're talking about making crossovers that like when Steven Espinosa and Showtime talk, but, and, and I, and I said, Bob Aram, Bob Aram has said stuff that people have criticized, but he was telling the truth. Like when he said, Hey, 
I've got a lot, you know, we've got a lot of exposure in Beter Biev. You know, we're, we're not sending him over to the zone for Bivol. I mean, I don't think it's an excuse. I think that's real. So, um, sure. but here, here's where I think that there could be another scenario. And I, I think really it's going to come to this September is because they're not going to have that much time to build it up. You know, Canelo True. and Triple G have already been exposed on two HBO pay-per-views. Uh, Canelo is well-known in the U.S., uh, even though he's probably hurt his profile a little with the DAZN stuff, he, he did have a PBC pay-per-view with Plant, who added some ratings. I've been through that before as to why that matters, even if Canelo's the bigger draw. It matters what the other guys draw in the past, too. And Spence, uh, excuse me, Plant had some ratings. So, you know, Canelo got that. He got some exposure. I believe the 850 number there, that makes sense to me. So, he's still a star, I'm saying. Uh, you know, Golovkin is a, is a kind of star. You know, he's not on the Canelo level, Wilder, Joshua Fury in terms of what he's generated. But he's right, but he's right, you know, maybe not right below that money, but in terms of your U.S. ranking, you know, on popularity of fighters, he probably then starts coming, you know, then you got, you got guys like Spence, Crawford, you know, have, have had appearances. You know, he, he kind of maybe starts coming in around there. I think that's fair, you know. Um, you could say below, but, but, you know, he didn't do much on his own when he had the Lemieux pay-per-view rumors were like, what, you know, 150 around there, um, which is probably true. So, you know, he, he's not like a, a standalone U.S. star, but, you know, his pay-per-views with uh, Canelo did well. And again, you know, he brings something there too. His, his days, his ratings in the later days of HBO for what they're getting were, were good, even with lower level opponents. So he drew something. So what I'm getting to is, you know, DAZN already has two guys who have been exposed in the past. It's not like it's going to rely on their marketing. And I've already talked about past shows about why they've got problems. You know, they've got to buy their own marketing and things. So that's a problem for them. So, you know, if, if they can't, if they, I, I don't, I don't think they're going to be able to, you know, I've already kind of made that prediction, but, but you know, it, the jury's still out. If they, if they draw a good pay, they can prove number, it. September. Right. That's what I mean. If they can prove it, the zone pay-per-view, then all of a sudden, even though they don't want this to happen, the competitors like Top Rank and, you know, Espinosa and Showtime and PBC, privately, though, they, they might look at it and say, okay, these guys, you know, they've kind of gotten established. We, we didn't want another competitor, but they're kind of there. This is a big enough fight. Sure. You, know, you know, maybe we do it with them. But, you know, if you're, if you're, you know, Aram, and ESPN, Espinosa, and Showtime, and PBC. And, you know, you get inside reports, and I think this is a possibility, even with Canelo and Golovkin, just because it's a zone pay-per-view. You know, if, if, you get, if you get inside reports or, wor- or credible words out that this does 350000 or something like that, which I think that very well might happen. And, again, it's Canelo and Golovkin, but it's the third fight. It's Canelo's coming off a loss. It's a zone pay-per-view, and I think it'll be a good fight. I'm interested in it, and people, boxing fans will care, but I, I just don't think it's going to be a big pay-per-view. You know, when Hearn says this is the biggest fight in the U.S. this year, I mean, that, that to me is laughable. It's not going to happen. I mean, Spence Crawford is the opposite of what Eddie Hearn is saying there. Uh, you know, I think Spence Crawford is, is – people are sleeping on Spence Crawford in terms of how big it is. I think it crushes that. Not, and, you know, not that Canelo – isn't a bigger star than Spence or Crawford, but those two guys meeting All right, yeah. both Americans, uh, it, it is like this generation's like 
you know, Leonard Hearns or Leonard Duran or something like that. For for this generation, you know, for where boxing is now compared to 40 years ago, I think it's a fair comparison the way this is going to turn it's out. It's been I talked think, about a lot on the mainstream. Yeah. It really has. Right. Definitely. I mean, if they get it on now, when they're both undefeated, where they right both now. haven't stumbled, <laughs> right. if we don't let it go too far, I mean, they're both undefeated. So, you know, yes, I think it's that big. I think it's the biggest fight in the U.S. this year. Um, I, I always slant to the heavyweights if you had the right fight, but you know, Fury can't. You know, Fury's not traveling. You know, like Al pointed out um, correctly, and that's a that's big story as well. Underreported. He he did a great job. Like I said, you know, he got Matt Christie, boxing news in the UK is credible. He uses the he went to the transnational ratings. You know, he understands these problems, and you know, like I said, Jake Donovan's reported on some of the stuff, but not, but not many. But but yeah, you've got those problems. So. You know, it doesn't look like we can really necessarily have the, the big heavyweight fight because I, I don't know with with Warren and Aram and, and Hearn, you know, even if Joshua beats Yusuf, do, do you see Fury and Joshua getting together? I have trouble seeing it. I, I have trouble seeing it. Um, not that it's not a big fight, but I have trouble seeing it. So, you know, then you then you don't Joshua doesn't have the if him and Wilder just did get together even if it wasn't for a lineal title or something, just with the intrigue. Yeah. Yeah. That, it could be huge, but uh, same thing, you know, PBC going to get together with her, her, Hearn going to put Joshua in with Wilder. I don't, I don't see that happening either. So gets, gets a, all the way back around. You know, I, I think Spence Crawford is the fight now. I think maybe someday Garcia tank could happen. They both stayed names undefeated, but it's going to, and here's the third way I think that stuff could start happening. So let's say if I'm right, and I, and and in this point, well, I let, let's like hold on. Let's hold on. Let's let we kind okay. of went some places. Let's get back to what you're saying too, what you were going to do, but just to line it up again. So let's say that, and I think it'll do more than what you said, but let's say it does five or six hundred thousand that Canelo Triple D trilogy, which would be. About a half as much, right? And then let's say the gate right. does uh, 15 or 14 instead of the 23 it just last did. That would kind of prove, hey, dude. Now, of course, four years later and all that stuff, it wasn't good. It's not going to do probably a million anyway. We probably know that. And the gate's not going to do what the first one did or second one did. But if it is that short of it, that would not bode well for the zone in general, kind of go on that path too, right? And if it, and if it did do a, uh, you know, a bigger gate that draw attention and it did like even 800 or whatever, you know, it's, it, it, it is really stuck with that Canelo plan because they have to do more than that, John, because if they don't, That's what I think. they don't right. have anything to say. God, I That's didn't even I think. think about it like that. They really are stuck at a tough one. I'm thinking of it that way, and that's my third scenario. My third scenario is if I'm right and zone doesn't do that well on this Canelo Triple G pay-per-view, then maybe zone just fades to a point where they're not in the game anymore or not significantly in the game, and then guys like Garcia just become available that way because zone's fading. Or they'll just it. take a replay. Hey, can we have the replay of that pay-per-view, you know? Can we take the replay a week later, you know, that type of thing? Yeah, something where or, – or they just – or, you know, hey, these things are always possible. Or, you know, they get out of boxing or something like that. It's still – hey, HBO got out. I mean, you know, it's it's still possible. I mean, look, they don't have that Joshua fight in the U.K. 
I mean, Joshua Usyk, you know, that's big yeah, news yeah. In, yep. in the UK. And then who knows where that is? I mean, you know, it hasn't been talked about. Where does that end up now in the U.S.? Because I'm reading. Yeah. Uh, I read a really good UK report that gave me the information I needed that, you know, apparently, right, Sky in the UK got that because the, the Saudis, you know, have the broadcasting rights to the fight. And they're, the way I was understanding it, they're peddling yeah, it's it not off, a sight so. fee. He kept saying sight fee. It's like, that's not a sight fee, you know? That's way bigger yeah, than like sight fee. Or that came with their sight fee or something. Because, you know, you know they get the fight fee yeah. the sight fee. But, but somehow, Hearn yeah, right. sold the whole Broadcast, fort. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Hearn, Hearn, yeah. Hearn sold the whole fort, it sounds like, to the Saudis. I mean, because how else could it happen, you know? So, yeah, exactly. Uh, yep. it, so, some, somehow, you know, unless... I don't, I don't know. And, you know, then unless I read that Hearn maintained the U.S. broadcast rights with the zone, but I haven't read that yet. And why? And he would have told us already, you know, he would have told us already. So I'm thinking, you know, if Sky has that in the U.K., I mean, I don't, you know, does that, does that make it, which would be kind of devastating to her in the U.S. Could, you know, could this thing end up on like ESPN plus in the in the U.S., uh, I mean, and you'd want more exposure than that, but I don't know. I, I'm waiting to read that, but I, I just mentioned that with the Garcia type thing is, you know, the third scenario, right, be, the zone starts to fade out after this Canelo Triple G pay-per-view if it doesn't work. I mean, so I think they've got a lot on it. Like, I, I think, and the plant Canelo is really the good barometer. I don't think they can do it, but if they get what Canelo plant did or more, yeah, then, you know, maybe PBC and Showtime and, you know, Aram and ESPN, and the, then maybe they have to look, all right, may, maybe do we have to think about doing some kind of joint deal with these guys? You know, they're going to be around as enough yeah, of a paper there, right. to play. Right. So I think it's going to – a lot of it's going to come down to – because if they can't do it with Canelo, who, who they, can they do it with? You know? Yeah, if they can't I mean, do it with something that's already been a proven winner, you know. Right. If 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 that doesn't do as much as him and Plant, that that and it's very it's it, it, it's very likely. It's not like you can't you can make an argument. It won't do. It'll do less than eight hundred thousand. But if it truly does, and obviously we're not going to know the numbers for sure, but that would be wild. And then you are stuck because it's like, well, I don't know what to tell you, man. You had Canelo and you couldn't outdo the Plant fight. Right. I mean, this is it, it's going to be. It's going to be big because my feeling is, you know, you're you're, you're just kind of going on the rumors, but I I don't I don't think there's really much evidence that Canelo Bivol did very well. I mean, there were not right. I mean, you go on street talk. I mean, there were, there there wasn't people that there wasn't people that purchased that pay per view. I mean, you know, I, I they just could not have just could not have been much on that. And and, and Bivol was not well known. You know, in the, in the U.S., uh, didn't didn't have enough. Had some HBO appearances, but not enough. Uh, you know, his were were near the end there. It's up, but but again, these are guys that had some. I mean, see, that's why I think yeah. the zone. It's he had been out of commission for so long, whether it's opponent or the length of time out of the ring, that didn't help either. Right when they're going to be getting to a point where, you know, guys, even though like Virgil Ortiz is a, is a top young fighter. You, you, you get to a guy like him who's like only been exposed on the zone, you know, like that, that's just not 
that's just not enough eyeballs to, to have built any following. So like, in other words, you know, when they run out of the guys that, that originally got HBO exposure or got some other network exposure or something, I mean, then it's really going to be trouble. Uh, you know, Ryan Garcia is probably the exception because of his social media following and things like that. But, but it, it, the other guys aren't Ryan Garcia. So like Munguia, you know, they, they're, I think they really knowledgeable people agree when I said this. I mean, I, I think that in Oscar's mind, you know, he's going to, he thinks he's just going to hang on, hang on until that guy, that guy becomes a Canelo. And I, I don't think the zones in the U S has the exposure for that. So I, I just don't think that's going to happen. You know, now he started on HBO too, but he didn't have that much HBO exposure. So I, I don't think he's going to, you know, I don't think he's going to become a Canelo just fighting on the zone again, unless, like you and I are saying, if this pay-per-view with Canelo and Triple G, you know, surprises us all and, and does 850, 900 or something like that, I just don't see it. But if it does happen, and then, you know, maybe maybe that's the zone's breakthrough where they just build up from there. Yeah. But it's going to take something like that, I think. And I don't think we're going to see that, but we'll, we'll, find, we'll find out in a couple of months. Yeah, that is true how much is riding in that fight. And, and you know, Obviously, Canelo has to win the fight, too. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah. In general, because if that doesn't happen, wow, that would be really damning. Um, I favor him. But, yeah, you're right. It really does put a lot of weight on that fight, both at the gate and on pay-per-view. Any other items from the weekend that you want to touch upon before we talk about this Gonzalez Dogbo and Gabriel Flores Jr. trying to get back on the good foot? against the prospect Giovanni uh, Cabrera, I think it is. Any other items, yeah, uh, though, that you want to talk about? Yeah, I just mentioned I, I was surprised at the Ricardo Sandoval losing. It, it was an example. I thought he could have gotten the decision, but still, he didn't look that good. And the Jimenez came on strong at the end. Usually, you know, with, with that type of a thing, usually you can stereotype it. In other words, you know, Jimenez – he, he had 11 fights and they were all in Central America. He's from Costa Rica, you know, flyway. You, you just, it's it, on paper, you know, nobody knew much about him, including myself. It, it just didn't look like he would be able to bring enough. And the fight was kind of playing out that way, but, but there were moments where he, he kind of exploded and he looked a little faster and more powerful than Sandoval and, and Sandoval, not an old guy, but, you know, and, and coming off some, good performances but you know for a flyweight the, the punches didn't really look fast and crisp i thought he was winning but he, he looked almost like one of those older fighters that that had to kind of force it and that was probably part of jimenez being quick but but also kind of not boating that well for him in the future in a weight class like that and i thought since jimenez had a point taken away then he dropped Sandoval late when he rallied. I thought Sandoval still could have gotten the decision. He didn't look good, but he didn't get the decision. And, uh, you know, sets him quite quite a bit. And, and, you know, you want to have loyalty in things. And, of course, the people he's been with got him there. But then when you look at a guy like Jimenez, you think, what what could this guy do in the U.S., you know, with, with a, you know, some top trainers and uh, you know, setting up camp in the U.S.? I mean, maybe he's a guy that, some of the major promoters and then with accompanying trainers need to take a look at because he did show enough that, that you're, I was thinking that even when I thought he was going to lose, you know, 
thought, well, this guy, he, he had a little more than I thought. I kept waiting for him to fold, and he never quite folded. And, and that you start thinking, man, what if this guy was, like, fighting in the U.S. all the time with some top training and promotional backing? I mean, uh, you know, part of the problem there is, you know, the flyweights are just never going to be that popular in the U.S., no matter what hipsters want to think. Um, so it's harder to get that kind of backing. But, you know, you do have a guy like Hearn doing things with uh, lower weight guys on the zone, and, and sometimes that's where a guy – can fit in. I mean, look, Bam Rodriguez ended up signing with Hearn. You know, he he had been fighting with with top rank some. So uh, maybe if the fights are there and zone wants to show him, uh, you know, maybe maybe that's an opening for him. But that but that was a surprise and uh, really a, a pretty big setback for Sandoval, who was a guy who had some momentum um, and just I thought he did enough to win, but he but he didn't he didn't look great and and a surprising setback. He he was a huge favorite. So that was a surprise. The rest of the weekend didn't excite me too much. Uh, that's what kind of got me even more focused on the Ryan Garcia, see how his development was going along. And since, you know, the zone does advertise him a, a lot, unlike even some of their others. I mean, there must be a little something there because I have had him when he's going to fight, you know, they know, obviously I watch boxing, you know, how everything can be targeted with streaming nowadays, even your audio streaming. And, and I get, I get when I get into the New York, New Jersey area, and Garcia's fighting. I get the zone Garcia ads start popping up on my audio stuff. <laughs> so I find that uh, I find that interesting. Uh, yeah, my Roku, you can see, uh, you know, you can see his face in the the fight poster and stuff. Uh, a couple <laughs> right, days right. leading up to it. So like, he seems like there might be something there, you know, as we suspect with this following and stuff, and like Al is going to out as well. And, you know, Tank's got some of that too. Uh, the, that that part, those two guys do seem to have something where where they get a little more momentum than some of the other younger fighters. And it was interesting to see how it goes. But that that was pretty much it for me on last week. You know, Barboza got another win. Now, he, he's a good, solid fighter. Um, for me, ultimately, he's underpowered when he's going to step it up to even a higher level. Um, and I think that's going to cap, you know, what he can do. But, you know, he, he, he's good, but he's, he's just a bit underpowered. And, and ultimately, that's going to catch up to him. So I think when he steps it up bigger, he's going to fall short because of a lack of power. But those were, those were just my main thoughts on the weekend, on last weekend. There you have it. Um, I do kind of like, like as far as like I mentioned earlier, the mid-level fight, the, the Joe Gonzalez and uh, Dogbo and, and seeing Gabriel Flores Jr. kind of try to get back on the good foot. I kind of like that. I, and by the way, it is on ESPN Plus. The whole card will be on that. It's 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 exclusively on ESPN Plus. We haven't had as many of those this year. But this is on ESPN Plus, not ESPN, for the people listening. So, uh, you know, don't, don't forget about that. But what do you think about Gonzalez Dogbo and Gabriel Flores and Giovanni Cabrera? You know, I, I kind of like this doubleheader. It could, you know, it's competitive fights. It is actually uh, in Hinkley, just, uh, I don't know, 50, 60 miles uh, out of Minneapolis. Uh, any thoughts on this or any other? items you want to discuss yeah i just would pick up on what you said I, this is a good card i'd like to see it on regular espn as well although 
the, this is more public because, you know, of course, Disney owns them, and then there are reports for people who take the time out to break down the reports and things. And, you know, there has been reports in the last week they're, they're raising the subscription price, but, you know, ESPN and Disney want to make ESPN Plus profitable. This is, they have gained a lot of subscribers. You know, it's it's not like at that level it was at its infancy, you know. I think I, I'm not sure what the exact total is now, but but the last time I looked, actually looking into it more deeply, they they were up to like 9.4 million or something like that. And I'm I'm not saying it's not way past that now, but you know it, it, it was getting to a different type level. So um, you know that that's been growing. So you do get some exposure, and you're right, competitive fights. I think it's almost a shame to to me. It was PBC that. I mean, I don't think that really is even dispute. I mean, they, they brought it back. You know, that, that was the big part of their plan. And, and now different things have, have developed, mainly, you know, kind of most mostly disintegration of the Fox deal outside of an occasional pay-per-view. Now, you know, they're kind of back almost at, at the old way where, you know, it was premium cable and then, uh, you know, a pay-per-views. Now, they've had guys who've gotten a lot of exposure up to this point going back to 2015. You know, that's, that's a long time. Maybe last year that it started dropping off the regular exposure. So, you know, six, some of these guys were exposed for six years. That means a lot. So, right. in other words, they're going to they're gonna get a lot of dividends with these guys in terms of stardom and pay-per-views from what time they put in. But they're not doing it right now. And Top Rank kind of and ESPN have kind of grabbed that torch. And now they're not running pay-per-views, basically, for the most part, but they're getting their guys' exposure. That pays off sooner or later. You know, it's going to pay off at some point. So, um, because, you know, ESPN and ESPN, not necessarily ESPN Plus yet, but, you know, ESPN certainly gets you more exposure than premium cable and and pay-per-view. And ESPN Plus is, you know, going to get, more to that level. I mean, I think Showtime's always been around, what, 22 million subscribers. You know, I, I may be off a little. I haven't looked lately, but but it's just like, so ESPN Plus, you know, you're not quite on that level. Yet. I, again, I don't know where they're at right now, but I mean, they weren't at that yeah, level. I think, it's, I, think it's, I think I just saw 27, if you add 7 million on their standalone, too. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so uh, that's Showtime? Yep. Okay. So, yeah, so, you know, so when they put a guy on ESPN Plus, they're not even getting yes. premium cable exposure yet. But it's going to get more. ESPN Plus looks like it did turn the corner. Or it's going to be around. They've established themselves. I know they're raising rates. But but I, I think I, I know a lot of people. You know, it, it seems to be the type of thing now where all sports fans have it. Because um, you can always find something on it. Like, you know, Chris, you follow college basketball like I do. I mean, you get to a point even yeah. for that. There's a million. There's a million games on there. If I want to see, you know, some Sun Belt game, I mean, if I'm a fanatic, I can yeah. see it. You know? So in documentaries uh, you know, of... and all sorts of stuff. <laughs> right. Yeah, and people can. Bet and I like how they do the plus now, pretty much for every fight, regardless. I think that's really cool too. So you don't yeah, have I'm... to have ESPN as a boxing fan to watch ESPN fight. Right. That's pretty nice. Right. It, it is. It is. I mean, that's the thing. So, you know, that I'm just saying top rank, now top rank, whether it's just them or the combination of them and what ESPN wants to do, 
you know, it's not going to, it's not necessarily just like when PBC was doing, it doesn't maybe pay off tomorrow, but you know, they're, they're starting to now put the time in where their guys are getting exposure. I mean, it's going to, it's going to add up, you know, if they, if they keep, yeah, we'll see what they here. do with it. Cause you, you're making yeah. a great point. You're making a great yeah, point. So, you know, like dog Bay and Joette Gonzalez, that should be a good action fight. Um, both guys have shown vulnerabilities at times and, and fallen short in some key moments. Uh, should be a good action fight. Both guys, uh, Gonzalez has gone both ways, but um, he really brought it in his fight against, uh, that was his fight with Navarrete, right? I'm trying to mm-hmm. think of my fights, fights there off the top of my head. Yeah, because that even surprised me. Now, it didn't come close to winning, but but Second half action. of the fight, though, yeah, he yeah. made it really good. Made it action the whole way. I, I gained. I got to say, I gained a lot of respect for him in that fight. So every once in a while, you get someone just says, "Hey, the guy earned my respect." That was one of those fights. And you know, I've seen Dog Bay, you know, engage in some entertaining brawls as well. He had the good fight with uh, Adam Lopez, where he had to hang on, um, and that was a good one. And he's had other good ones. So I agree with you. You know, this is not like guys that aren't good these guys might not be the very top but it, it but competitive well-matched fight of guys who you know aren't at the very top but close uh and that's that's a lot better than than we got before the pbc era when pbc started raising the competition level and you know we started getting better fights because let's say before pbc did that circa 2015 i mean we we i don't even count like you know, a lot of people say, oh, ESPN Friday Night Fights, but look, I'm a boxing fanatic, but those fights yeah, were terrible. down the stretch, I mean, that fell apart. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there's no never, doubt. And it's terrible. hard to do it every week, right? Everyone yeah. says, oh, it should be like Showbox. Well, to be fair, it's hard to do it every week uh, for that long right. of a stretch, but still, we can't act like the product was – a lot of people like to romanticize that, John. And it's exactly. like, come on, they romanticize. the last three to five years was not good and probably longer yeah. than that. Because I remember when it was Wednesday night, too, remember, in the, like, spring summers? And then when they – we thought, oh, maybe they're going to combine budgets. It's like, no, we're just putting baseball on Wednesdays. You know, it's like, oh, right. okay. okay. You're right. When they did it in the summer a little bit, yeah, it did pick up a hair. Yeah. But for the most part, no, yeah. I would go on far average. back. I was – I was down on it. I mean, I, I would go as far back as I, I thought. I thought from like the late '90s, it was just basically was bad. So, you know, there was a prospect would get exposure here and there, never in a good fight, though. You know what I mean? Like, that was the uh, problem. Yeah, they had right. all the names, but you know, yes. they didn't have a deal with them, so you're not going to keep bringing your guy back there. You know? Yeah. The only thing they did, I mean, there was a couple of little blips, like out of nowhere, they showed which was awesome for the time because that was right before PBC got going out of nowhere. They showed Ariola Stavern two mm-hmm. on like a Saturday yeah, afternoon, yep. which was shot. And then, you know, uh, main events had that little bit with, uh, with NBC, uh, and NBC Sports, Sports Network. Network. Yep. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. they were having, you know, those were some decent shows. You didn't hear much about it. Um, but that was it. I mean, it was PBC that then made the push with their time buys, and, and then that led to getting actually on network. But, but they're away from it now. So Top Ranks picked up that torch. So for that reason, I'd like to see some of this do good because there's at least people watching it, more exposure. But, yeah, Dog Bay and, and Gonzalez is a good fight. And Gabe Flores, who for me, an up-and-down thing, like 
when I very first saw him when he was, you know, he's real young still, but wasn't that crazy about him. He, he looked underpowered, but then he started bringing some power into it. And it's funny saying this now when his career has been unraveling, but when he was looking good, I mean, I thought I was seeing like a, a little bit of like a young Roy Jones when he started punching with power and he was boxing well with speed. And then it just completely unraveled. It just completely unraveled. Uh, you know, it'd be easy to just say he was never that good because he's young. It's not like he's old, but I don't know. Just something seemed to unravel with the kid. Um, yeah. And he, he just, I, yeah, he, like he couldn't, he wasn't avoiding, you know, he wasn't punching with power and he wasn't avoiding the shots. And, and uh, so, you know, he, he's fighting, you know, even at such a young age, I mean, he, he's a guy definitely fighting for, you know, career survival. I mean, like, like every fight now. So uh, I don't know if he can do it. And, you know, the way it's unraveled, now I'm I'm not making any predictions he's going to rally or anything. I mean, it it just didn't look like he could rally from the way he was looking. But I I don't I just kind of wonder like what went wrong with the kid. You know, it just uh, in in the ring the way way he's been fighting. But because um, he he was looking, you know, he was looking real good for a while there. Um, few fights he looked like he had it all together and it just unraveled. So I'm curious about it for that. A reason, and you know he's in with a real opponent, so uh, it's it's all on the line for him. I mean, you know, even though he's a very young guy, I mean, it's you know, you, I don't I don't know if you can do that the way it's been for him, but you know, he's got to show somehow he can get it back. Uh, but I I don't I'm not going to predict that that, he, that he's going to do that. But but yeah, that's where in a hurry that is yeah that's where that is interesting to me that you know can this kid show any of the promise that he had shown I, I don't know that he can but it's it's an interesting story in that sense but uh you know the, the i mean the bad performances were bad you know <laughs> right. so uh uh that that's interesting I, I don't know if this kid can can get it back because he's so young that's why i'm calling him a kid but uh you know for for a, for a fighter nowadays but uh it's gonna be tough. It's gonna be uh, gonna be tough. But I, but it, it, those are two pretty interesting fights. Yeah, if someone you know who's a common, I won't go casual, but common boxing fan who you know follows it, watches a couple events a month, maybe two events a month. If they bumped into this, I think these type of fights would hold them. And they're not bringing Gabriel back as just a easy little fight for him to get his confidence back and have a fight. You know, this is he's got to go out. And win this fight so yeah that's what i really like about it well i appreciate you uh you know hanging out and uh, hanging on through that interview and whatnot and we'll uh we'll likely talk next week um just a heads up it'll probably be sunday night because i am taken out of town for a a couple of days early next week so i haven't decided exactly when i'm going to be able to fit it in but just a heads up but i appreciate you uh calling in tonight john Oh, okay, Chris. No, great, uh, great show as always, and, and you make a good point. I'm, I'm going to finish it out because I just think you made a good point that's that's worthy of mentioning. You know, when I compare all the promotions, what they're doing, you're, you're going to put a fight on like on an ESPN or a Fox or an FS1 or something, uh, network TV, 
which we're not seeing right now, but hopefully we'll see again. That's my test, Chris, what you said. I mean, you got to make it where at least it's a matchup that if, it's a, if, a, if some kind of casual fan or just sports fan is flipping around, is, is this going to hold them? When they don't try to do that, I, I always, you know, feel bad for boxing. But, but I'm with you. These two are the type of fights that they, they might hold somebody uh, flipping around looking for something to watch, and that's a good thing. But uh, have, have a good uh, have a good rest of the week. Great show, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me. Sounds good. Yep. Have a good one. Take care. All righty. Um, just kind of closing out some of my thoughts on that card. The uh, We did talk about Lamont Roach pretty much, you know, handling Angel Rodriguez. Uh, he had his moments early. He definitely did. You could give him the first two rounds, potentially. Um, you know, maybe another round in there, maybe another one. I, I think the seventh round uh, jabs to the body in landing pretty well uh, up top as well with hooks. Uh, Rodriguez did. Uh, but other than that, I had it nine to three, max eight to four. Uh, clear win for Lamont Jr. He looked pretty good. Doesn't have a lot of power, but the guy, he looked pretty good in this fight. He was supposed to win it, obviously, but 117, 111, 116, 112 for, for the other two. As far as uh, Alexa Rocha and Vernon, Luis Vernon, you know, Rocha, you know, he won this fight, you know, very cleanly, obviously. It was one-sided, um, but it was still kind of lackluster. Um now, he did tell his corner later in the fight that he was, you know, something's up with his, his, his hand, I believe. Um, but it was kind of like one punch at a time. Um, and it, to be, you know, to be honest, Vernon, it was catch up to him a little bit. He was crafty enough to get out of the way. But 171 to 72, like I mentioned earlier, is, is a dominant performance. And, and it kind of tells you that the guy's not really putting in in, you know, much of a, hey, dude, I'm going to win this fight. Uh, but he was a little crafty. Uh, but we'll see more of Rocha. Just, you know, sometimes when you talk so much about a great performance and a knockout and all this stuff, and they're talking about it on the broadcast, and then it's just like, wow, that was pretty kind of subpar. It's a very subpar. Uh, the David Jimenez, like we said, Ricardo Sandoval, uh, that could, I agree with John there, that could have been either way. I saw a stat um, talking about from Jim Carras. Sandoval was a minus 50,000 live favorite to to win a decision late in the fight. (laughs) Um, So clear and clear, you know, and obviously like a clear favorite going in. Um, But that's pretty intense. I mean, sometimes those things get a little overboard or whatever. It's kind of like the probability of the win that we see in sports a lot, like on ESPN. Um, but, you know, to this point, I'd have been, I would have been okay with a draw. They both got points, you know, obviously in the 11th round, a short right hand during the exchange by uh, Jimenez, knocked him down, there was a holding. And I thought the holding, I don't remember them warning the guy a lot, uh, Jimenez, but he was clearly grabbing at least one arm, a lot of times the fist real quick after he gets shots on Sandoval. So, um, it was a close fight. One had it 113-113. I, I kind of wish that was it. The other one had it 114-112. It 
When you look at the punch stats, though, and that doesn't win the fight, but Sandoval landed 249 to 163, and I believe he was more accurate. So 35% to 29, which kind of tells you a lot. Um, but it was a competitive fight. That was the most, obviously, the most competitive fight on that card by a long shot. Um, so that that was interesting, but the rest were pretty one-sided. As far as Barboza, he cleanly beat uh, Zoria. Uh, Barboza handled him. Um, Danilito, I gave him the what I gave him the third round. Um, it was like a, I think, like a, a jab and a, a late right hand that kind of stole that round. The fifth round was pretty close. He was uh, doing some good body work and a nice, landed some more nice right hands. The tenth round. Um, you know, I thought you could have uh, definitely, you know, he, he clipped him with a, a couple of really good right hands. Um, nice uppercut and more right hands. Uh, Zoria. But other than that, that was about it. I mean, there wasn't much that just Barbosa was just, Barbosa was just handling him. You know, it started out pretty slow, got a little bit better. Uh, he was busier. Um, you know, he was doing the busy work. He was moving pretty well. He was landing, you know, several right hands uh, around behind his jab. He was just the better fighter overall. So I had it like seven to three, eight to two, something like that. It was pretty clean. I mean, one seventy-one to sixty-six um, kind of tells you <laughs> what that was all about. And then, uh, well, Richard Torres won super easy. And you could have said that was a quick early stoppage because it came like within a minute or something like that. Um, they, they could have kept that one going. So you really didn't get much out of uh, um, Torres in that fight. But the um, Murataya, what is it, Murataya? Murataya and Valtier. Murataya, um, this was one-sided. I mean, after seven rounds, 219 to 29. <laughs> there was a, the fourth round, 40 to two punches. 40 to two punches land. That's, that's crazy. So that, um, you know, that was a pretty one-sided fight, too. Pretty one-sided weekend, if we're being honest. I did think, I, I called for a, a TKO knockout, you know, for Garcia, but I didn't think it would be in that round I did kind of favor if I remember correctly the later rounds um I think uh Gabriel Flores Jr. will beat Giovanni Cabrera I think he'll I think his I hate to say it like oh his overall skill will win the day um because you know he could have said that in his last fight or you know some of these last fights where he, he hasn't looked as good even in a win but I like this fight like I mentioned it's just it's just a solid fight I have Flores winning that one, and Gonzalez and, and Dogbe. That is a tough one. I, I, I'm I'm in between on that one. Um, I'm gonna favor Dogbe, but I haven't seen the odds just yet. I think he'll win by a decision. But as far as a two way fight, that's in Hinkley at a casino, by the way. Uh, for those folks locally, uh, tickets are cheap, so you should grab them. Um, I'm, I already have something going on, so I'm not got, not gonna be able to go to the the card, but I really like that fight. I think that Gonzalez, Joe Gonzalez can do some stuff uh, in the middle of the, the ring um, at distance um, with his jab. And, and just, I think he's 
he's he's a little bit more skillful than we think. You can't just look back to that Shakur fight. Um, and he, he he's done well since then. And you can make an argument for uh, Dogbe as well, you know, bouncing back. Um, and, yeah, he lost in the Brett did too. But, like I said, he closed that really well. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I mean, but if you look at Dogbe since back-to-back losses to Neverette, Christopher Diaz, Adam Lopez, good wins. Avalos, I think that was the comeback fight after it, if I believe. Good, you know, good, solid wins. And that's why it kind of lines up to be pretty close to a 50-50. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, according to Shelly Finkel, we'll just, we got like seven minutes left, so we'll just kind of go through some news. Uh, according to Shelly Finkel, Wilder will come back. Uh, but they're ruling out Chisora and even Hellenius, which I kind of thought it would be Hellenius coming back. Uh, but he says we're eyeing Usyk, um, you know, the Usyk and uh, AJ winner. But that's good just to get him back. Speaking of, you know, negotiations anyway and fights that they're looking for, Oscar De La Hoya has claimed that Eddie Hearn is not tied in any way to Bivol. He's not Bivol's promoter. He doesn't have a co-promotional deal. Um, on camera, Eddie speaks as if he was, and he's going to work this out, work that out. Um, but that's kind of an interesting note uh, to think there. You know, I, I, I did. You know, the, pretty much thought right away that they would put in the request not to do. You know. The, the thing, not to do the the mandatory. Uh, Eddie Hearn did say that, that he wasn't going to do the mandatory. Or not, they weren't going to do it, but they're going to put in a request to say, nah, we, we, we would like not to do that, and we asked to move on. Now, it has been a long-ass time, you know, speaking of uh, sanctioning belt stuff, that, you know, um, and, and here it is. He said it on the Zone Boxing. He said that... Uh, they intend to file an exemption request for the WBA to allow him to fight uh, Joshua Buatzi in October uh, before taking on Gilberto Ramirez to keep the belt. And, you know, he also said, hey, to fight Canelo, which is kind of funny, uh, Dimitri might have to fight Buatzi and Gilberto Ramirez. Uh, that fight's not definite because we killed May. Also, don't forget, Bivol wants Better Bia, which is like, well, I think I'll probably forget that one. Um, the Daily Star reported, and many others, that Eubank Jr. and Connor Ben, October 8th, at the O2 Arena, the catchweight 155, 156, sounds like it's close to being done, but we will see. Speaking of more of this stuff from that DAZN Boxing Show, Eddie Hearn said he expects Leo Santa Cruz now to request an exemption for a WBA, WBC, featherweight world title unification versus Ray Vargas rather than taking on Lee Wood, which has a lot of people up in arms. But, you know, if we're being honest, it is what it is. You know what I'm saying? Um, And also, a little bit more on that, um, we talked about how uh, Jermel Charlo and Tim Zhu fight, sounds like. Well, we knew it was some sort of agreement had been made. Um, But January 28th is a date he put out, and then he deleted it. Uh, but they're saying now he's saying that we got a date for it. So does that mean Spence and Crawford? Uh, someone else suggested, is that the first? Because we hadn't heard Espinosa talk about that at all. But 
then again, we just heard about the date. So I don't think he's been questioned about that. Um, but someone threw this out there that kind of made me think of an option, too, um, that maybe, you know, it's part of a new deal that the PBC is going to do. Because as we know, the Fox deal is in its final year off of uh, extension. I don't know. It's kind of a strange extension only to do pay-per-views in a, in a Fox prime time or like just short of prime time. Well, some of it's in prime time because it's not a normal, you know, it's for pay-per-view cards. They do those two hour cards before the pay-per-view. Um, so it is kind of weird to do an, you know, an extension and not put any normal Fox cards on or FS1. Could that be the first Fox card? That would be phenomenal, but also it could be a different deal. Uh, it could be anything. It could be, you know, we haven't heard an announcement with Showtime and PBC. Their, their contract's supposedly up. Did You know, we've talked about, is Paramount going to come into the, you know, would this fight be on Paramount? Or are they just purposely putting it back and it's going to be on Showtime, but their fight's lined up, which seems pretty likely there. Um, and we'll talk a little, you know, let's, let's see that finalized. You know what I mean? Let's see that finalized as far as the uh, – the Eubank Jr. fight, I don't want to get too deep into that um, because, you know, I don't know. I don't really know about it. I don't know for a fact about it. But I did get some messages before we go through the news. And Well, we don't have a bunch of time. I'll, I'll, you know, people are kind of doubting me on these audios. Well, here's the audio from the Big Boy TV show, okay, um, with – Tank and him talking about how people come up to him and ask him about the fight, but also how uh, the PBC side reached out to him. Here's the uh, audio. We see the back and forth. We can't, you know, beat around the bush about it, bro. What's that situation right now, man, between you and him? Is there obviously? I feel like there's bad blood there, but is there something that we can see in the future? A match? I don't think it's bad blood. I think it's competition blood. Gotcha. I know that for a fact. I just want to whoop his ass just mm-hmm. because he's part of my division and that's just somebody that everybody wants me to fight. No matter where I go, wherever I walk, the people always mention that. You know, <laughs> when are you going to fight Dang? Like, out of nowhere, I'm like a mile away. I'm like, what? Can you say hi? How am I? Like, can I get a picture? No, it's just like, fight Dang! So I'm like, you know, now I'm ready to give the people what they want. I feel like I'm at the, the level I want to be uh-huh. when I fight, you know, Javante. And, uh, you know, if when everything goes well, this fight, July 16th, that fight's already going to be uh, talked about and negotiated. His team reached out to my team yeah. before this fight, but we they didn't want to do like anything official until after I win. So, you know, when I win, we'll have talks. Gotcha. Of course, we there you go. Right so here. this is what he said. And then also my point about Oscar when he went live saying he's the only guy. Let's fit this in real quick. So, what do you guys think about me, okay, the promoter right here, the only one that can make Ryan Garcia and Tank Davis? What do you guys think about that? Now, he goes on to say more. Oops. He, he goes on to say more, and we're about to run out of time, but he goes on to say more, but he kept going back to that it's me. And to me... That's sending a, a message to Ryan Garcia and his manager that I'm the ultimate one that has to say. And, you know, contractually speaking, as far as a promoter, 
you know, can he go and get percentage points from uh, a fight that's on Showtime? Yes, he can. Uh, could he work a deal where they could, you know, make it work for his own a little bit, but not a, a split site? Probably. Or not a split site, but a split pay-per-view? Probably. But this is what we're talking about. He, he's saying, you know, it just, I can't get my hopes up for it. You know, I can't get my hopes up for it. And then somebody else asked me to play the audio for Espinoza uh, going back and forth because uh, Joe over there at the Dome, one of the heads up there, he said, we don't uh, do our business publicly, never have, which is just nuts. But he also, you know, he talked about that Espinoza a little incorrect in some of this, and we send you emails, let's do a fair deal. 